Hello and welcome to the Troopany Show. My name's James Troopany, this is my show and today we have a very, very special Christmas edition of the Troopany Show with our annual year-end awards with myself, Mr. John Dinsdale of Steel Chair Magazine, who's sat with me right now. We're in the same room, Honest Gov. Oh yeah, that's that's always how we record this. I make like a three, four hour journey every weekend. There you go. You see. That's why I always sound dead. <laughs> and also Alex Watt of No Fixed Wrestling Abode, who uh, recorded the show a couple of weeks ago uh, and instantly regretted it because some of his North American awards may have changed in the meantime because there's been nightmares since. But we had to have a time, we had to have a date, and that was Alex's views at the time. So um, we'll leave Alex's North American awards to the end of the show and we'll start with John. John, I'm going to ask you a question before we start on the awards. How do you feel wrestling in general has done this year, talking about all of the stuff we watch, um, and even WWE, because it's like, it's a good question to ask, like, are things going well or not? I suppose it depends who you ask. Like, on, on a whole, in the wrestling landscape, it seems to be improving, more shows running again, COVID restrictions are sort of are not easing up because of fucking new variants, but we're finding ways to navigate it better. Looking at the end of 2021 compared to the end of 2020, everything feels like it could be better. But then again, we don't know how the next few months are going to play out. Yeah. Now, uh, okay. Well, I mean, we've got a lot of things happening even in the next couple of weeks. We've got the big Budokan whole show for Noah. That's going to be a big event. Um, Wrestle Kingdom on the 4th and the 5th and the 8th. Um, <laughs> yeah, but the 8th show looks intriguing. If you I see what the main event, show, main event for the 8th is. It's a bit disappointing. I was expecting more singles matches. Yeah, they're not going to do that. <laughs> it's about as best as you can hope for, to be honest. Knowing the, knowing what um, Nisawa and Ghetto have got to play with at the minute, I bet when the management team went to them and said, we did a super show, both went, ah. <laughs> but here you go. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, it's. It, I think it's, I mean, you've got Okada and Tanahashi versus Marafuji and uh, Marafuji, who's Marafuji tagging with? I can't remember. Marafuji and Muta, that's it. So that should be intriguing to say the least um on uh, you've got some other people down the card that are doing some interesting matches um, I see the funky express versus the dads now intriguingly kenta is going to represent noah not new japan yeah i saw that i was a bit surprised hmm, intriguing but there we go he's probably just celebrating a chance to be away from the like bullet club shit for a day <laughs> That's been a topic of conversation, which no doubt we will talk more about as we go through this show. But there is a general perception that Bullet Club, uh, specifically the House of Torture, is uh, not good at the moment. Um, and I would concur, to be honest, just because I've had to watch so much and I've got so bored of it. And uh, But anyway, we'll talk about that later in the show. I but... say, you should probably clarify you brought me here for the Japanese side of the award. Yes, the, yes, indeed. We're looking at Asia um we could pick australasia i suppose 
but the big name stuff's happened in Asia this year, uh, as far as uh, Japanese wrestling. If we so want those Aussie big stuff, names. match down under Callan Butcher and Dream. There you go. The three award winning thing. Uh, and Robbie Eagles. Yeah, go on, then you can have him. And and a, a smidge of Aaron Henry. Well, for what little we saw of him. <laughs> uh, I will say, actually, anyway, we'll talk about it as we go through the awards. Uh, we'll start off, as we always do, with Match of the Year. John, what is your Asian Match of the Year? I have picked Takeyuki Yuki versus Taro Sugira for the King of Freedom's Deathmatch Championship. I thought this, you might do. <laughs> this was the single most uncomfortable deathmatch I watched all year because there was a very, very gross amount of cinder block headbutting. It topped the deathmatch calendar for this year. It, it just genuinely, it's still a match I can remember almost flawlessly to... Like now, it happened months ago. It's just the best deathmatch that's happened this year. It is one of the most wince-inducing things I've ever watched. And yeah, if you can watch it, then please do. It is a masterpiece of just making you squirm. <laughs> I'm I'm not sure that's completely on my particular, um, you know. Uh, radar when it comes to picking match of the year, but that's why we pick you to pick things that are different, so we don't call the same answers. My match of the year is Nakajima versus Keno at the best from nowhere for the GHC World's Heavy, well GHC Heavyweight Championship and the National Openweight Heavyweight Championship. Sorry, Openweight Championship. My bad, not Heavyweight Championship, um, which was amazing considering the fact it was an hour-long draw, which was entirely strikes more or less, with only a couple of high spots. You don't get that in modern wrestling. And both of them had an exceptional year. You know, Nakajima had arguably the feud of the year, though it's not my pick of the feud of the year. It could be one of the picks of the feud of the year, but catapulted him to a GHC heavyweight championship run. And his run ever since has been full of astounding matches and incredible work rate. And um, yeah, that's my match of the year. Um, any comments on that one? Yeah, that genuinely was an amazing match. I, ironically enough, the end of the year has been good for sixty-minute draws. It has, yes. <laughs> who'd have who'd have thought it? Well, there you go. It's just the way this way things are. I mean, I um, it's possibly a trend, but also I think it was it was a reasonable thing to do in kind of unique circumstances, but it's kind of been Noah's story this year has been unique circumstances as they've come under this new direction. And they've done essentially their previous owners tried to kind of bury the past of Noah as best they possibly could to move forward, which is something they had to do, but they didn't keep enough of Noah's history to make it make sense. It was like a new company. And when um, cyber agent took over the company, they put the old stuff back in place just a smidge to make Nakajima and Marafuji and Goshiyazaki and even people like Mohamed Yone much more relevant again because they had a canvas to work from. And then they've kind of used that to leapfrog the company back into the Japanese consciousness and sell tickets hand over fist, I think. Hmm. Yeah. But yes, so that's that's my that's my uh, match of the year. I'm trying to think of shortlisted um, 
honourable mentions. Uh, actually, Okada and Tamatonga uh, was exceptional. Uh, G1 Climax. Um, Hiromo and Despi at Best of Super Juniors. A another 30-minute draw, by the way. <laughs> that was excellent, too. Um, the G1 didn't provide as many absolute bangers as it normally does, which was a bit of a disappointment. Not that there were anything that was particularly awful, um, but there was some actually like there was better consistency in World Tag League this year, I think. Which is if we're actually doing honourable mentions, I'll throw a couple in. What's that? We've got um, Keno versus Kiyoji Muta from Muta the World. Oh, sorry, the Great Muta from Muta the World. Yes. The infamous match where Keno set his own leg on fire to deliver a kick. And I will go with. Suzu Suzuki versus John Kasai from the Hardcore Trials, but I'll talk more about that later. Ah, excellent. Next up is Wrestler of the Year. As always, with Trooping Show Awards, these are non-gender specific. It could be anyone from any wrestling promotion anywhere in the world. We only ever have one MVP. And so, who is your Wrestler of the Year, John? I cheated with this one. I've got two. <laughs> Go on, then. I have picked Atsushi Onita and Suzu Suzuki. One, because he managed to completely reinvent a company and is still going with it. He hasn't given up on it. And travelled to the States to bring the first full-scale explosion match to them. And Suzu Suzuki because she's basically taking the deathmatch world by storm. She ran roughshod through Ice Ribbon with what she was given and now she's made a like nomad pack of deathmatch wrestlers. That are appearing everywhere <laughs> next year. Fair enough. I uh, have gone with Nakajima uh, from Noah, our current GHC heavyweight champion, just because he's had such an outstanding year and he started off kind of from nowhere with a tag title room run that was grinding to a halt and seen that was falling apart. And the push has been perfect and driven him forward. And, you know, um, he's been consistently an awesome wrestler in every match I've seen him in. His character always goes forward. He's always developing and he's always changing to match the situation he's in. And I can't wait to see what he does with Shingo next year, to be honest with you. <laughs> That's going to be insane as they kind of move forward in this Noah New Japan um, rivalry. And I'm wondering if that is one singles match they might give away um, eventually, but not straight off, because I think those two would match perfectly. Um, but yeah, I mean, honourable mentions again, Kotobushi has done incredible work considering such a bad hand he was dealt for the whole year. Akada's rise back to prominence in New Japan Pro Wrestling has been breathtaking and perfectly done, and that requires the perfect wrestler to do it. And, of course, Shingo Takagi, who has been the IWGP World's Heavyweight Champion and kind of defined that belt as the previous two guys couldn't do it, and he has kind of given himself space as the IWGP World's Heavyweight Champion. Don't get me wrong... I hope Okada wins and throws that ugly belt in the trash on the 4th of January. However, <laughs> respect is due to the dragon. Uh, any honourable mentions for you, sir? Again, Mohamed Yone for having the greatest Afro known to man. Um, Hikari Noah, again taking TJPW's idol style and acquitting that to death matches. It's, it's very bloody on my side of the awards, isn't it? 
It usually is, though, to be fair. It's like there's been a lot of good, but at the same time, it's like I want to try and diversify, but at the same time, it's like all the deathmatch people were really good this year. <laughs> and the people branching out into it are just as cool. Like Suzu Suzuki and Hikari Noah both have like a bright future as like top tier deathmatch wrestlers if they keep going. I think this is the thing. It's like this is why we're going to cause so many arguments tomorrow when the um, Steel Chair Wrestling Magazine Top 100 comes out. Is because oh, part one comes out in half an hour. There you go, in half an hour. As we're recording this, obviously this goes out on Monday, so oh. we're living in the future. Christmas has already happened. <laughs> We've already caused a shit ton of arguments. Yes, we will do over this weekend, just because it's the top 100, and every year it's arbitrary opinions of wrestling writers, which people do not like at all. I was going to say, I don't um, think they get that it's all based on names we put forward. Entirely. I it's mean, like, it's... why is my favourite so down the list? Because only one or two of us actually watched it. Actually watched it. <laughs> why do you think me and Mr. Troopany here have all our names near the bottom of the list? Because we're the only ones who suggest them. I think, I've pro- I think I've got one in the top three. I'm probably... I think I've probably got four in the top ten, I would think. But my got, taste is far more mainstream than yours, <laughs> and mine I've isn't mainstream at all. Top spot, but like, yeah. I managed to get a wrestling serial killer on the list this year. I'm I'm more than happy. So, well, yes, but that's the thing. It's just like people will go, but 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 I've never heard of this person. Well, you should have done, and that's the point. I mean, I absolute props to the folks at PWI who do the 500 because that's bloody hard work. It's properly researched. They have loads of criteria for people to get into the to the stuff. I've, I've talked to Kristen and Strieger about it, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's like proper higher levels of committees to build that kind of list of people together. And the same for their tag team list and their women's list as well. Us, it's just 15 people put our names in the hat, and we say these people are cool, and here's why they're cool. And that's it. So wrestling serial killers. It would well, be well. You were. <laughs> it would be a miss to not kind of just condolences to Super Leather, who passed away. Indeed, this week. indeed. So, uh, if you would like to read an obituary about Super Leather or Leatherface, or perhaps more famously known as Corporal Kirshner in the WWF, you can go to fmwwrestling.us, where Brett, our good buddy Brett, has uh, written uh, an obituary to him. There will be an obituary for me on steel chair this week i was going to write it this morning but i had my covid jab last night and i i couldn't like lift my arm this morning to use a typewriter so that wasn't going to happen today um nor could i paint the house or anything so i will give my great due and proper to corporal kushner slash leatherface during the week and you'll see that on steel chair wrestling magazine and indeed yes it's um Unfortunately, a lot of our old friends and old charges are passing away. But I still look at FNW and see a bunch of guys who shouldn't be alive still alive. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's good to see some of them still going. Yeah, for sure. Right then, shall we move on to Tag Team of the Year? Du-du-dum. Who is your Tag Team of the Year? Mine is Best Bros from Chocopro. Balianaki and Mesaruga basically won the awards. The sorry, won the tag team championships at the start of the year and have yet to lose them. They've continuously put on high level matches and are just 
like massively great personalities on top of that. Fair enough. I have to go with the obvious choice, which is Dangerous Techers, who've had an outstanding tag team year, um, where they've just grown as a team. They've slipped off into singles actions where they can, and uh, Tai Chi's, they've brilliantly told stories like Tai Chi's G1 climax run essentially being upended by broken ribs, kayfabe broken ribs, which didn't meant that they weren't as strong as they could have been going into World Tag League, which meant they lost World Tag League on the last night. They couldn't believe it. But they lost to uh, Yoshihashi and Hiroki Goto. We're also honourable mentions um, because, you know, their tag team with um, Chaos, the six-man tag team uh, with Tomohiro Ishii, had an outstanding year as well. And they were unbeaten for most of the evaluation period, just dropping them to at the end. And hopefully, um, you know, but... For this particular awards, as our awards runs a little bit longer than the um, Steel Chair Awards, which I did give it to Chaos, I gave it to Dangerous Techers just for their G1 performance, Climax performance run, which was outstanding. So that's that's where I'm at with this. Uh, Honourable mentions, of course, go to um, Chaos. And Gorillas of Destiny, who seem to have kind of given up on their tag ambitions as they did so well in the G1. They're thinking about having a crack at singles careers. And I kind of see that as being the next thing for them because they can't really do anything else in the tag division. So, yeah, but Dangerous Techers are my winners for the year. Any honorable mentions from you, John? Iari, a.k.a. Takeyuki Iwaki and Toshiyuki Sakuda. Again, two mad bastards of the deathmatch world. And though they're um, slightly outside of the evaluation period, there's been a like a fun little tag team forming between Harata and... Uh, Sagira that looks like it's going to take off quite nicely there you go we next move on to feud of the year John your thoughts Suzu Suzuki's hardcore trials that's right I said I'd talk about this later so at the start of the year Suzu Suzuki of Ice Ribbon was like I want to be a deathmatch wrestler so what did Ice Ribbon do they gave her seven trials against all intergender matches against some of Deathmatch's best and brightest. Like, it went through bloody Takashi Sasaki, Masashi Takeda, You Call Me Immortal, Abdullah Kobayashi, and Junkasai, and they're all incredible matches if you can see them. Like, it is a continuous upping of the ante as Suzuki just gets more and more familiar with the world of Deathmatch. It lasted... For as long as I wanted it to. They were all high quality matches. And as I said. She's now formed a roving pack. Of like deathmatch fighters. It's perfect. <laughs> okay. My feud of the year isn't so much a feud of the year. More of a feud of the decade. As Maki Ito. Once, went, went up once again with Mayu Yamashita. And told another chapter. In the never ending story. Of TJPW's top two stars. Ito's run in the States, which gave her international fame, uh, helped develop her draw back home in Japan, and she rose to the top to wrestle Yamashita at Budokan Hall in an absolutely outstanding match, which was kind of an honourable mention for match of the year. Um, and, yeah, she has been absolutely phenomenal. And I was reading back to, like, people complaining she couldn't wrestle when she made her AEW debut eight months ago. And she's headlined Budokan Hall. <laughs> so clearly, they were wrong. Um, as fans who don't like AEW tend to be. 
I know, like, I'm not like pro, pro, pro AEW. There's some things I don't like about things about AEW. Uh, certainly some of their talent choices. However, not everything they do is wrong just because you like WWE. <laughs> so there you go. Just the way it is. All right. So that's that. Side. Um, but yeah. Um, I'm not, I mean, as honorable mentions go, I would say, uh, it's funny, isn't it? It's just, you it's think no, back, there's just not that been that many feuds, like, no, Ito and Yamashita was one of my sort of honorable mentions, but outside of that, it's, I mean, like, the big feud in New Japan has been House of Torture versus Chaos, which no one wants to watch, not even I... the wrestlers want to watch it. I'd sort of say BJW versus Drew Parker. Yeah, yeah. But it's been like, it's been a bunch of matches and sporting reasons why people got to championships. There's been no blood feud stuff, I suppose. Oh, God, Nakajima. Nakajima and... Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But surely, if it was that good, we'd remember his name without having to look it up. It was Kitamiya, wasn't it? Kitamiya, yeah, it was. Kitamiya. Yeah, there you go. I wanted to um, say that, but then I'm just like, wait, will I sound stupid? No, because they had the like incredibly violent cage match. They did, and I suppose that was uh, that was the catalyst for Nakajima running forward. But that's the one other feud I can think of that made me go, ooh. Everything else has been like, well, but if you look at the main titles in New Japan, tag titles, Dangerous Techers didn't really have a feud against G.O.D. because they flatly refused to wrestle each other anymore. Um, because they were sick of each other. I was uh, Chris Brooks versus Balianaki, Chris yeah. Brooks versus Sean McAtamata, Chris Brooks versus Lulu Pencil. <laughs> I think that leaked into this year. Um, uh, yeah, it did. Uh, Shingo versus Okada, I suppose. But we won't get the blow off till that till the end till next year. Uh, but even then, it's kind of been feuding from a distance because they were saving it for Wrestle Kingdom. NATO versus his knees, I guess. That's been the only major I mean, there's feud, a few wrestlers you could have. That yeah. Oh. True. So it's been it's been a bit of a, a glim year for absolute blood feuds. The only real blood feud in New Japan is Chaos versus uh, the House of Torture because of Sho and Yo and the tag team titles on one thing or another. But even you can t- even the wrestlers aren't interested in that. Shibata I was said, say, "You'll be damned before you give House of Torture." <laughs> well, no, but that, that's but that, uh, Shibata said. There's a bunch of wrestlers, nod, nod, wink, wink, who are having matches they don't want to have. <laughs> Isn't that most of the roster? Yeah, but no, he was kind of like erring towards all the interference and stuff, and like, you know, there's 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 a bunch of things there that just <sighs> that just ain't working. You've got Dick Torgo in your company and you don't even use them properly. No, I mean, this is the thing. I like Evil. I like Show. I even like Big Huge. And I like Dick Togo. Just not collectively together at the same time. I was on, um, I, I was made a guest appearance on the Random Wrestling Review the other day. And um, uh, some old man Sam Carey played the point uh, that Mar- we were looking at You'll hear it in a few weeks' time. I best not spoil it. But I was looking at match, but Molina was seconding John Morrison in, or Johnny Nitro, as he was known at the time. Um, and he said, she didn't over-egg the interference pudding. And Ben was like, ah, that's that's a terrible analogy. I went, no, 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 no. There is an interference pudding which can be severely over-egged. <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly what's happening. It's just 
the over-egging of the pudding. There's nothing wrong with four people individually. Quite like them all, just don't like them together. And with predictable results of interference endings, which don't make any sense because as soon as they started pushing referees around, they should have been disqualified straight away. And that ends that. And then we move on to the next match. I just can't get over the fact that they've sort of made sure boring. Well, they made evil boring, so surely... <laughs> evil wasn't bo- LIJ Evil was not boring he was an exciting person to watch I look forward to watching his matches I knew something cool was going to happen I do not like look forward to watching his matches now it's annoying because I liked it before he went full Bullet Club you know when he had the G1 run it was just like oh god Evil's actually being evil Yeah. and it fits and it works because you were in this weird mix of sort of LIJ Evil and what we've come to know as boring evil and it was just <laughs> Okay, so there's a bit more attitude here, and yeah, this this fits, this works, it's cool. Oh, and now well, all yeah. the dynamicism is gone, and we're just watching a plodding man in makeup. It's well, I mean, according to Hiromu, according to uh, Super J Cast, Hiromu, when he found out about the booking for the Best of Super Juniors final with Yo, stormed into Ghetto's office and demanded that the booking was changed because he didn't want the show interference. He thought it would detract from the match. Good on you, Hirami. Yeah. No, so nobody likes it. Nobody wants to see it. No one's interested. I heard this argument with Walter Yeats from Pro Wrestling Illustrated as well. He was like, uh, well, you know, we've got Yoshihashi over. And I was like, if you cannot get Yoshihashi over without that much interference, you do know what you do not want to know what your job is. Yoshihashi's been over for months. It's just this has kind of catapulted him to the front. But you didn't need that. Guy could have won the world title in the middle of the G1. It was that over. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's like, nah, nah, you don't need it. It's not completely necessary. Um, but yeah, it's eh, there you go. What can you do? Anywho, enough moaning. Let's move on to something more positive. Promotion of the year, sir. I'm going to guess you're going to say freedoms. It's almost like you've looked at my form. <laughs> I have, in fact, picked Freedoms. There you go, you see. They're one of the promotions that doesn't run the most shows in a year, but near enough, every show is amazing. They're consistently innovative. They're always interesting. They've proven home to one of the best deathmatch championships on the like on the planet at the moment. They formed a new home for Yu- Yuki and Sakuda when they wanted to leave bloody BJW. And yeah, it's just one of the most entertaining promotions to watch each month. Like, I am glued to the the chance I get to watch Freedom Shows. That's cool. I, I, I think that's really good. Honourable I... mentions go to Noah, DDT, TJPW, FMWE for what lit I could actually watch. <laughs> <laughs> um, my promotion of the year go to TJPW. Because I think of the three major companies on Russell Universe, they've probably gained the most traction. And they've probably done, like we've talked about the Forbidden Door. I think TJPW have done probably better at the Forbidden Door than anybody else. Because they were a tiny little company 12 months ago who didn't really, they, they were well known, but they weren't like considered like the top tier draw wise of the Joshi companies, that would have been Stardom, obviously. And then it got to the point where they're out drawing Stardom, um, which to the chagrin, I'm sure, of Rossi Agawa and Bushy Road. <laughs> but there you go. Um, 
yeah. I don't know, so, maybe if they let stardom be stardom and not New Japan with women, then. Yeah, that's a maybe conversation that that's, care. yeah, that's a conversation that's been had this week again as, you know, there's nothing wrong with New Japan, there's nothing wrong with stardom, but it is like, you know, booking ideas that work for men don't necessarily work for women. And the tradition of Joshi is very different to the tradition of New Japan, which is all about, if you go back to, Nakada's the perfect New Japan wrestler, even though he's not really a New Japan wrestler. But it's all about slow build and telling your story from a very, very slow pace, a la Shinya Hashimoto did. And that doesn't necessarily work well with Joshi because they're not six foot eight and 300 pounds. They're five foot 10 and 160 pounds. And therefore, things can move a bit quicker. <laughs> if you see what I mean. You can get going a bit quicker, and it looks a bit ploddy if you're not careful. And I think that's one of the reasons why uh, it does sound a bit gatekeepery um, and a bit technical. But I think it's one of the reasons why a lot of the interest in Stardom dropped off after Rio Shirai, and certainly after um, the kind of like the takeover of Bushy Road and the dojo changing to being run by Liger and Milano and that group rather than the previous group because. They were women who knew what they were doing as far as trying to make a Joshi product was concerned. Not to knock on Milano and Jushin Liger, but that's the product they want to do and, it's, and it's, they can sell it, then that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's just one of these things where the change has not necessarily been for the wider better. No. I mean, I think... I don't think the wrestlers have a problem with it. And, you know, they have done some cool stuff this year and there's been some big names. Like, Julia is a good example of she got super over when she lost that hair versus hair match. Utami's been killing it as the champion. Yeah, but... yeah and it, you know, it's, it's, I mean, that's the thing. It's like Nakajima lost the hair versus hair match as well. Maybe that's the key to success having your head shaved. Mm. Anyway, I'm attached to my hair to test that theory. Uh, me too, to be honest with you. So we move on to your promotion. Oh, you get freedoms in you. So let's go back to comeback of the year. What's your comeback of the year? I didn't have one. This was one of the, like, those sort of... I owned an ad over this for ages, and I can't really think of one. Like, I wanted to say Yujiro Takahashi because he's suddenly relevant again and putting on awesome matches, but, like, when he's not with House of Torture. And even then, it's just like... This feels half-assed because the amount of New Japan I watched was very minimal. <laughs> it's... I it's not really been a year for comebacks. Like, uh, Nakajima had a great comeback after losing his feud. Sure, that wins the award, but Goshi Azaki came back too late to be counted. Like, it's been a very consistent year. Like, if we'd gone for breakout, I'd have put Drew Parker, because he basically burnt through, like, the BJW Deathmatch ranks to win the title and Dickie Dawson Death. But that's not really a comeback, because he was already killing it. It's it's a tough award to give this year because, much like feuds, there's not been. Yeah, I mean, there's there's only one comeback anyone cared about, and that is Katsuyori Shibata, and that five minute exhibition match with Zack Saber Jr. at the G1 Climax Final, which blew the roof off the place when his music came on. As far as clapping is concerned, <laughs> it was a very polite blow the roof off the place. <laughs> But indeed, it did blow the roof off the place. So I think, you know, from my point of view, Shibata's comeback, 
um, is the only thing really. I mean, Rashiozaki, when he comes back against Nakajima at Budokan, that'll be something special, but it's not in this year's uh, period. So it's it's that's going to be next year. It's going to be hard, like a lot better to 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 do this with. But yeah, so I'm going to go with Katsuyori Shibata, and there isn't really any honourable mentions except for bad luck Farley at World Tag League. I'm going to say that because I actually missed him and I saw the point in him because he came back uh, and he only did World Tag League last year, really, and he came back for World Tag League this year. And him and Chase looked really competent and they were still in the running on the last night. And I mean, we didn't chase, but, you know, they actually looked like a competent tag team. The only time they blew something up was when they beat the Gorillas of Destiny when um, Chase was supposed to uh, German suplex um, Tamatonga and just blew it. But that was the only blown move they had through the entire tournament. They got some big name wins. And Farley looked like a vital, vital player again. And that's the first time he's looked like a vital player again in about three or four years. You could have run him at the Intercontinental Championship, should such a thing exist anymore. But, you know, it's like, that was really good. Now you can go back in your box and break glass in case of emergency once again. <laughs> but there we are. So, moment of the year. What is your moment of the year, John? I mean, shock and horror. It's another freedoms moment. And it was there uh, when Violent or Jack dethroned Taru Sagira. <laughs> the most dominant champion Freedoms has ever seen was finally stopped halfway through this year by Violent or Jack. And it was just one of those big, yep, you deserve this moments. Because Jack pulled double deathmatch duty this year because he did Ikitos and Death and did like Freedoms work. And yeah, it's just one of those moments where someone who deserves it gets what they deserve. In a good way, not in the sort of heel gets his leg broken way or something. <laughs> yes, I can understand that. Uh, my moment of the year is Kazuchika Okada winning the G1 Climax, not because of Kota Ibushi's injury. Obviously, that was awful. And it's one of the saddest things I've ever seen in a wrestling ring. Um, and you could see the genuine concern Okada had for Ibushi when he landed on his shoulder. And it was just a horrible, horrible injury. Um, and I'll get to Kotrabushi later. Um, but Okada winning the G1 felt like a reset. It felt like the company had finally come to its senses. <laughs> it was like, and then him coming out and saying he wanted the fourth generation championship belt back to represent the G1 climax win was like, that's a stroke of genius. That means that there is hope at least we might get rid of that ugly title that nobody likes. And then, you know, he might reset the company around Okada again. I'm not sure if they want to do that. I'm not sure what the, where they go with this. But they actually gave us hope as fans. And Ghetto is very well known for dashing the fans' hopes at every opportunity to just make us want more. But I think he has to pay off at some point this year because it's been awful. And they've done awful things. And <laughs> it's been bad. <laughs> it's I'm basically... I think that... Like the more you talk about New Japan, the more this feels like Stockholm syndrome. It is a little bit, but it is just like, like, oh god, dude. It's like saying, oh yeah, he ripped me fingernails out, ripped me toenails out, broke two of me kneecaps. But you know, he does make a good cup of tea. Well, yeah, but that's that's the deal, isn't it? That's why you follow wrestling companies, I suppose, in one sense. It's not like I'm, you know, going online and saying New Japan Pro Wrestling is the greatest company of all time, and all those are rubbish because they're not. 
Anyone can do that anymore without getting laughed out of a room. No. Well, I mean, the actual work standard in the ring, yes. The actual booking of the storylines, no. So it's yeah, it's the it's the difference in style. In ring style is still fine. There's nothing wrong with the in ring style. The actual like problem becomes in the way that they're presenting wrestlers and how those wrestlers are going forward. And that's what made Okada winning the G1 so cool was the fact like this felt like the old days. And we desperately need a shot of the old days. <laughs> Even if it's just for two months, then we can like, you know, so someone put it online, oh, you can stick shit. I said, I don't mind Shingo's, Shingo's championship ring going in the shit if we get a card and that beautiful belt back. <laughs> and I, I thought, like you should clarify, I don't hate New Japan. No, I know you don't hate New Japan either. No, you, but you are, you are less attached to it than I am because I've been watching New Japan wrestling for 30 years and you haven't. Uh, like I still try to watch it, but it, it's gotten a lot harder. It's Just... less. It's less fun. It's. I mean, it's like <laughs> it is. It is less fun when you know what's going to happen in at least three of the matches. <laughs> oh, that's going to happen to him, and this is going to do and this. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh this is the finish again. Oh. oh, that's the same finish as last night, but they turned that thing around. Oh, you know, and it's like. This is a tournament where they're supposed to be different, like match endings every time. It's just not happening. But that was that was the trouble with Best of Super Juniors and World Tag League. It was all about um, House of Touch and nothing else, and it was boring. And I just thought the... New Japan have managed to make something worse than Will Osprey. Oh yeah, we get him back, don't we? Because it's like, what would you rather see, House of Torture or Will Osprey? Neither, really. I know. I, I mean, I don't. If you just kind of like, like stomp down on their cheating, I'd be fine with House of Torture as a unit. They're all right. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just the way they're presented that's the issue. Uh, apparently, he cut some kind of video package today. I didn't look at it. Yeah, um, Shingo, Shingo replied with. As usual, Will Ospreay turns up to ruin the mood. <laughs> I like, Shingo's sick of him and all. I think we all are, to be honest. Um, I mean, like he, Ospreys is the card is the only really mate in the in the uh, um, uh, locker room, I think these days. So, but we'll see. Yeah, but I think our card just tries to be friends with everyone. Well, yeah, because he's a nice bloke. <laughs> uh... Right then, shall we move on to Manager of the Year, which is a short short list. I was going to say, yeah. I just picked me or Arbor. So did I. <laughs> he came back. I was very happy about that. Yes. I didn't remember if Peter came back or not. Otherwise, I'd have put her on the list as well. Because they're both damn good at what they do. Yeah. Um, you know, Utero would not be half as interesting if Peter wasn't there. I was going to put Dick Togo, and then I remembered what faction he's aligned with. And I'm like, nope. Yeah, well, you, you just picked Utero who's in the same faction. I said I was going to. Oh, I see. Yeah. No, I, yeah, Peter would came back for the G1. She was very popular. Mio Abe came back for the G1. She was very popular too. Uh, they didn't do World Tag League, I'm assuming, because it like, increases the risk with having that many people there. Um, but yeah, no, I think she's fine. I don't think anyone else was any good. Her and Peter were the only two people who were any good. And we tend to alternate between Mio Abe and Peter. <laughs> There's not really any other valets at the moment. It's like... It's not like the good old days where people would have an entire army following them. No. I say that, no. I'm just referring to when we were watching old Joshy a few weeks back and Dump Matsumoto had a bloody army with her. 
course she did. You know, back in the day of, you know, punk rockers that you required. Like you occasionally get someone there for moral support, but they're not really a ballet as such. No, second is the correct phrase for that. Um, but yeah, Aaron Henry seconding Great O'Khan in the amateur wrestling match was excellent. He did a cracking job. He kept a straight face until the end, and then they attacked Jano. That was really cool. I like that. Uh, it was the last of the King of Pro Wrestling matches, to, uh, championship matches today. Kanemaru wrestled Toriyano in a um, downing shots before we start match. Did he win? I, I don't know. I haven't seen the results. I was just like looking at the gifts on Twitter. So, <laughs> so like that feels like a shoe in for like Liddy Kanemaru to win. Like, no, I think they wanted to keep it on Yano and, until so he can win it for another year because this is the last show of 2021. So he's, two, he's won it two years running now. So. Yeah, but don't you say Gato just loves ruining everyone's fun? So having kind of already thrown him in the last show, it's like, oh, yes, Yano's going to do it. It's like, no. <laughs> just passed out because he drank too much. No, no. Our last award of the show and our last award of this year, though you're going to hear more awards from Alex, but he did them first. Yes. Um, is the Akura Hokuto Tough Old So and So Award. Uh, who have you given it to this year? And I'm wondering if it's going to be a deathmatch wrestler. <laughs> it's not, actually, but they Ooh. were in the honourable mention. So wait, it's got the tough old so-and-so? I thought it was tough old bastard. Uh, we changed it to so-and-so to be more family-inclusive. I've ruined that. <laughs> <laughs> I went with Kieji Muto. Yeah. Because not only did he come back and win a title belt... But he was in hardcore matches and has not stopped for the entire year. Like, he's got, like, bionic knees at this point and <laughs> shouldn't be wrestling, but he's still wrestling. Like, I was going to give it to Onita, but I've already given him an award. I could have given it to Ryujito or Abdullah Kobayashi, but I don't think they're quite at the age bracket. I'd class for tough old bastard. It's like Minoru Fujita is doing incredible work, but again, still only like mid to late 40s, so they don't quite meet the age. I, the, the the old isn't, isn't. you can have the old without, you don't have to have the old as in literally old. I know, but I feel like this is a, a special award for the older generation that's still gone. Like, Yuji Nagata was what who I originally put in because, holy shit, did Blue Justice have a great year. Oh yeah, he did. Absolutely cracking year. He had my favourite match of the G1. He wasn't even in it. <laughs> it's just like, but no, Kieji Muto has... A, he managed to piss most of the internet off, which is something I can respect. He had one of the top Japanese titles for several months and basically annihilated the younger generation. And he was 59 um, years old yesterday. Jesus Christ. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I just proved it. Tough old bastard. There you go. My winner for the Tough Old So-and-So Award, the Akira Hokuto, Hokuto Tough Old So-and-So Award, is Coach Rabushi, who had an alarming year, and not necessarily in a good way. And I think he made the top 10 of the Steel Chair Wrestling Magazine uh, list, which is remarkable, considering the fact he was off until Wrestle Kingdom with injury He after winning the G1. He came back after Wrestle Kingdom, defended the title three times before losing it. To... <laughs> and then had to have more time off because of a lung infection. 
then had more injuries, and then came back at the G1 where he separated his shoulder. And he's still considered one of the top 10 best wrestlers in the world. And for me, that is just showing you how consistently good he has been. Um, as I said, <laughs> said in my steel chair right up, next year will be better because it couldn't possibly have been any worse. <laughs> challenge. It does, really. So hopefully, Kota, um, he's, when you he's 38, it just looks like he's 12. Part one has gone up. Sorry? Of the Steel Chair Wrestlers Top 100. Oh, there you go. You see, as we speak, the uh, Steel Chair Wrestlers Top 100 has been impressed upon the world. So we'll be spending the next three days fielding abuse from strangers. Thank you very much for listening to the Truth Show today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yes. Um, that actually is it for our portion of the awards. John, where can we find you on the internet, sir? You can find me at Twitter handle John Deathman. That is a gateway to hell that will lead you to all my writings, my opinions, my occasional swearing attacks at video games and the people that play them for being twats. And yeah, a whole load of fun. I even started taking pictures during shows of funny moments. It's, it's a good time. Well, there you go. Um, I'm going to do my blurb and plug me at the end. Uh, thank you very much for listening to us two today. And we will hand you over to me. And Welcome Alex. to the past. Welcome to the past. We gotta oh. go back, Marty. We gotta go back. That's on telly as we speak right now. It's on ITV too. Seriously? Yeah. It's, I was it's just bad. doing that as a joke. I feel no, sick like now. Well, there you go. That's it. And we're going to get into our DeLorean, and um, one of them, the one of the best car stories ever. If you, if you, you should go on. There's a story about DeLorean on Netflix. There's a documentary about it. You need to go watch it. Because no other car in the world can involve Margaret Thatcher, the Irish government, building a factory in the middle of the Troubles and bringing both sectors of Irish, uh, Northern Irish life together under one roof. And then a massive drugs deal to finish the story. You have to watch it. Anywho, <laughs> um, thank you for listening to us. And I'll hand you over to me and Alex on the other side of this musical sting. Hello and welcome to Troopity Show. My name is James Troopity. This is my show. And will you please welcome the seventh annual Troopity Show Awards, um, which this year will concentrate on North America in this particular part of our awards. And we will do other things. Not much wrestling happened in Europe this year again. So we might give that a skip because none of us have watched anything and all the best European wrestlers we can think of wrestled in other countries. So we may as yeah. well not <laughs> to join me today to look at our North American portion of the awards is Mr. Alex Watt. How are you, sir? Hello, I'm good. It's we were just chatting before we start recording that it has been a while <laughs> since I've been on. I think <laughs> have I been on since we did that episode on the start of Pro Wrestling Noah? I don't think I have. No, you haven't, no. We've Crazy. done we've done a lot of Noah this year because um, obviously, Russell University is free until next year. So, Lovely. obviously, we recorded as much Noah stuff as we can. And there will be the big Noah show at Budokan Hall with uh, Go Shiozaki challenging Nakajima for the GHC Heavyweight Championship. And Kenta making his return to Noah to wrestle Naomi, oh, sorry, Sigiara, um, 
which this morning he announced, I don't want the young people out there to think it's a homecoming. I'm going to hurt him. <laughs> love that. Love that. Because <laughs> he's a pleasant chap, the studio. Um, so, yeah, so, so we've, got, we've got plenty of Noah done, but not necessarily all of it with you. I've done a lot of it with John, but John's kind of more of a modern-day Noah fan. You're more of a historical Noah fan. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. I'm sure I'm sure I'll jump back on for some um, old school Japanese wrestling chat soon. But yeah, there's been I've moved house since then. So it's been it's, <laughs> it's been <laughs> it's been a lot going on. So have I. Yeah. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a bit of a, it's been a bit of a hectic year generally for the Troop and Show crew. Um, all of us have had like Saigo a new job and um you know, uh, you've moved house, and yeah. uh, Marcus has been watching less Japanese wrestling, so he's tended to stick to North American wrestling just as much as you have. I think, and I guess yes, probably we'll chat about a, that in a second. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I, I think I think that's the thing, though. I think if Marcus was doing the show with me, I think his awards would be very different to yours, but yeah. I don't think they'd be that different because you and Marcus have very dissimilar tastes in many senses, but. It's basically because you watch different stuff. And yeah, I think, but, yeah. Because spoiler alert, I'm gonna a lot of my stuff will probably be dominated by AEW. <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> I think so as well. But I mean, I think you know, uh, Marcus has kind of got a lot of um, he's spent a lot of time on smaller promotions this year, which isn't normally his thing. Mm. Um, you know, he's he's an impact guy, and he's he's a bit of he was become more of a Ring of Honor guy this year. Um, and I think that's that's the kind of thing where he's kind of he's gravitated towards, and I think it comes down to there's just been more products this year that that have inspired people. I mean, um, we'll talk probably a bit about Ring One as we go through this, but mm. we'll certainly talk about AEW. I I mean, I think this year has really demarked where sports entertainment has become its own thing and obviously sports entertainment thing for a long, very long while but it genuinely does seem to be separate from the rest of the wrestling industry now because of the actions of wwe's front office mm-hmm. there are still elements of cool wrestling stuff but it isn't all cool wrestling stuff i mean essentially the end of 205 live kind of folds a bunch of stuff into nxt NXT and NXT UK has kind of just kind of dawdled along, had a reboot and then dawdled some more. And it has some cool moments, but it's not the must-watch stuff that it was two or three years ago. And yeah. the emphasis has certainly moved back to big name, big matches, WWE-style stuff that was kind of it's Vince McMahon Jr.'s bread and butter and has been for a very long time. And indeed was his dad's bread and butter before that. It seemed to have taken five steps back to move one step forward, which I think has freed the rest of the North American wrestling industry up to be professional wrestling. What's your thoughts on the year? Yeah, I mean, a few things there. I mean, like you say, it's it's funny, you know, you mentioned the start, like I've had more focus on North American wrestling this year than Japanese wrestling, which is is rare for me, but... It's, I mean, sadly, that's in part because of how hard companies like New Japan were hit by the pandemic, um, which kind of, you know, I've only really focused on the big matches. But I think it also speaks to what you're saying of um, there's a lot of great promotions out there in North America. And I think AW is the main one that have been really um, 
consistently good, to be honest. We'll we'll chat yeah. about them more as we go. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a weird year as well because, like I say, <laughs> there's re- there's obviously real positives with, like I say, AEW, the continued growth, um, the shows they're putting out. The Impact AEW deal as well. I thought we got some good stuff out of that. We got some fun stuff from NWA, like the all-women show, Empower, which Mm -hmm. James put together. That was great. Um, Matt Cartona's run in GCW as well was really (laughs) enjoyable. Got some spotlight on them. Loved that. PWG came back as well, which was really cool. Um, But yeah, you kind of alluded to some stuff there on the, um, the negative side, shall we say. We can't ignore... WWE's behavior in terms of the (laughs) talent they've cut this year like it's been disgraceful to be honest I mean you might need to get the beat button out here because I need to say this at least once on the show fuck WWE for this um the number of releases and the frequent releases has just been horrible to watch it's it's obviously like capitalism and corporate America at it's absolute worst. You know, these are human beings. They're not numbers on a spreadsheet. And when you're making your best profits ever as a company, yeah. you can't keep claiming cost cutting as an excuse. So, yeah, not 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 delighted about that. And then obviously Ring of Honor as well, who maybe have run their final ever show. We'll see. Um, I know we're recording this the night after final battle. I know this is going out in a few weeks, but um haven't had the chance to watch yet. But obviously that's um a heartbreaker in in a lot of ways it if is. Ring of Honor isn't able to continue. Um, you know, to, part one talent, there's so much talent out there and they need places to work, and that's another place gone. Um Ring of Honor was obviously really the best company. Um, certainly best independent company and how they handled the pandemic and protected the people who were contracted to them and sadly that's the thing that that kind of has um, screwed them over if you like in the long run financially but it was you know the right thing to do at the time they were just hit so badly by by the pandemic in that way um and I yeah like to, add, to, feel you, so to interrupt you Alex, but I'd also like to say they were the company that handled me too better than anybody else yes as well. yes 100% it's well worth throwing in definitely yeah you know there's the 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 way they held their account wrestlers accountable the amount of talent changes that went ahead because of their lack of trust in that specific talent um probably did hurt the company a long time but it was the right thing to do and they made the right choices and they made the right choices all the way through it's just unfortunate they couldn't hold those right choices together for as long as they possibly could um, because, you know, it, it's all right. And if you look at every other company in the sense of AW could had a strong TV commitment that they could keep the company going. Mm. Impact Wrestling doesn't matter whether it makes them money or not. It's about creating content. It, it's That's fine. Even New Japan Strong has a strong parental company that could look after it and only mm. had to pay wrestlers. It didn't really have any overhead costs on the shows that it was running. Same, the NWA closed down for the duration of the pandemic and reopened again by keeping people on skeleton contracts and doing possibly what it could. But again, it's a company with very little money. And the WWE just did what the WWE does. Mm. Um, but it is hideously unfair on Ring of Honor that they did all the right things and just didn't have enough money to keep it going. But that's the way things go, unfortunately. 
Yeah, no, it, it really is. Like, it's it's so sad as well, because obviously, I mean, for me and a lot of guys of, of my age, Ring of Honor were the company, you know, that, that <laughs> you know, ch- it changed my views on pro wrestling, basically, when, you know, it was my first step on discovering indie wrestling, strong style Japanese wrestling. I discovered that on the back of Ring of Honor because the guys they were bringing in, um, yeah, it's it's such a shame. Hopefully they are able to regroup and turn things around next year, but it's it's not looking great right now by all accounts. But yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'm not alone in that one that I fell in love with independent wrestling because of Ring of Honor. And yeah, yeah the, amount, the amount of careers they launched, you know, I know a lot of them recorded messages for that show last night. Um, so many of those guys started their careers there, made their names there, had some of the greatest matches ever there as well. So... Um, yeah, it, it sucks. It sounds like they, they had a great show with Final Battle. Um, so at least they went out with a bang if they if they are unable to return, but but fingers crossed. Um and yeah, the the last thing I was gonna say was the NX, NXT rebranding that you kind of um mentioned earlier is not not yielded amazing <laughs> results from what I what I've seen, <laughs> shall we say, um, with a couple of exceptions which we'll we'll come on to, but I think NXT has really been on the wane, sadly, ever since AEW came into the picture, really, and the Wednesday Night Wars and, and all that kind of stuff kind of changed the direction of the company. And it's it's not what it it's not what it used to be. And again, it's it's a little bit sad um to see the changes. And obviously all the guys that seem to be leaving as well. I think the thing is like the Bron Breaker story really kind of uh tells the whole story of NXT 2.0. Here's a guy, the son of Rick Steiner, genetically designed to be a great professional wrestler because he wrestles like his dad and talks like his uncle. (laughs) Has the look, has the presence, has all the tools. But even he was smart enough not to use his real name because there's a long, strong possibility he might be out of a job in six months' time. So he used a different name that WWE could have the rights to so he could keep his own name when he went somewhere else. True. I hadn't thought about <laughs> it like that. I, I've always read it as like, why have they changed his name? <laughs> you know, why why have they uh, changed was, something that was so good? I think it was Wrestling Incorporated um, uh, interviewed him this week and he said, it. no, it was my idea not to use my real name. And there's only one reason why you wouldn't use a real name. <laughs> I mean, actually, I mean, his name will be his name will be Richtensteiner, which is the full Steiner name. But mm. yeah, it's like ah. <laughs> if that doesn't sum up that where WWE is, that even a prospect like that has to think has to think that yes. far ahead in case it's oh, it's depressing, isn't it? It could be the next Bruno Sammartino, or be working for Impact Wrestling within six months' time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's the sad thing. Like, I mean, that's it. It's, it's that's all there is. There's nothing in between. That's all they're interested in. You know, it's either some of the names that have been released this year are baffling. Like we don't want to Absolutely. delve into that too much, but it's like people have said, if you can't make money with someone like Keith Lee, what are you doing? Like what are you doing as a company? <laughs> if you can't make money with my Yim, what are you doing as a company? Yeah, yeah. Ember Moon, like that last crop of um guys and girls who got released was just 
Ugh, baffling. The whole thing's been baffling, to be honest. But anyway. <laughs> it has. But anyway, let's just move on to our awards. And we start our North American Awards, as we usually do when I typed up this list seven years ago, and we've not changed it. <laughs> <The match. laughs> it's always been the same order. <laughs> <laughs> we'll start with Match of the Year. Your thoughts, Alex? Um, so first of all, I'm going to point out I've probably forgotten a bunch of stuff. <laughs> so apologies <laughs> in advance if there's big things I forget to mention here. Um, but a lot has happened this year, it feels like. So um should say, obviously, we're, I mentioned we're recording this the day after Final Battle, so I haven't seen any of that. Um, AW Winter is coming is after we record this, so like Hangman yeah. versus Danielson in particular, I have very high hopes for. So obviously bear that in mind. Everyone, we we usually do we usually do our awards like first of December to first of December. Otherwise, if you don't have a cutoff point, it's like the Steel Chair Awards go from August to August, which is a bit odd because we don't write them up until November. But <laughs> what can you do? <laughs> well, there you go. I do, I don't know if I've got um any December last year stuff in here, but we'll we'll see. Um, but yeah, honourable. <laughs> this isn't uh, on, the Pro Wrestling 500 we're talking about here <laughs> well yeah quite <laughs> um, honourable mentions okay so um, outside of AW like I say there's going to be a lot of AW chat here but uh, Walter versus Dragunov at NXT TakeOver was obviously phenomenal as expected um, I loved Sasha Banks against Bianca Belair in the Mania Night 1 main event I thought uh, Reigns versus Brian on SmackDown in Brian's final match for WWE was great. Um, PWG, I haven't seen a whole lot of this year since their return, but I know Bandido versus Black Taurus was a particular highlight there. Then AW <laughs> had a lot <laughs> of great matches this year, so I'll rattle through these quickly. Britt Baker, Thunder Rosa in the Lights Out match. Danielson Omega, the Dream match. Danielson Suzuki, Omega and Hangman, Omega and Ray Phoenix, Danielson and Kingston, Punk and Kingston. There was a lot of great stuff, basically. Um, the one I settled on was the cage match between the Young Bucks and the Lucha Bros, because um, it was just amazing. Um, it was the perfect capper to their feud. You know, they kept them away from each other for a while. Then they brought them back together again at the right time for, to do the title change. Um, and it was just, it was so creative. They were telling a great story. The books obviously have been in full cocky heel mode, which made them the perfect bad guys for Phoenix and Penta to overcome. There was blood, there was intensity, there were mad spots there were some of the best near falls i think i've ever seen in a match it was so dramatic <laughs> there was there was a a shoe covered in in thumbtacks as well that they pulled out so yeah just as as the total package on the really the show of the year i think as well at all out um from top to bottom was incredible and this was like the standout match on on an amazing card so that's that's what i went for just edging out danielson and omega which i yeah obviously loved because it's kenny omega and brian danielson it was never not going to be good was it <laughs> no i mean for me um there's loads of things in all different places uh john moxley and josh barnett in Bloodsport was, was mm. one of my favorites 
Um, Masha Slamovich versus um, Diana Parasso at Empower was just a brilliant story to tell. Mickey James comes out. I found the best mercenary I can possibly have. And of course, it's Masha Slamovich. Beat <laughs> 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 the living snot out of Diana Parasso. Um, what else was that? I'm, yeah, I agree with you. A lot of the AW matches this year have been outstanding work. Um, and uh, a couple of the, I mean, I'll be honest with you. Impact Wrestling, I watch it for the Knockouts division and the Tag division sometimes. Mm. Other stuff, eh. um, that's <laughs> all I can say about it. But um, yeah, I would. My match of the year is Brian Danielson versus Minoru Suzuki um, mm. because it, yeah, because this is this is a personal choice list, and it's like, but think about this: they call Suzuki's agent on the Monday. Would you like to wrestle Brian Danielson this week? Yeah, all right then. And on the by the Friday, they had half a million people watching it on various different social medias with no build-up, no real story. This is Brian Danielson versus Minoru Suzuki. It's a dream match. And we could put it on pay-per-view, but we haven't done enough builds, so we're going to put it on this TV show to try and sneak a rating. And they did it. And it was like the old days back in the late 90s with WCW and WWE. They were trying to steal a show. And they haven't done that for a while. And they can't do it very often. But they stole a show. And that was cool. That was something different. And it's it's like, I'm not into this toxic AEW and WWE and impacts of this stuff. But watching AEW try and just have a little bit of a sneak at it, not just hinting at it, not just doing it in the background, but they did it with Danielson versus Suzuki. And it's the two... Very great wrestlers that I like because of their visceral style and just that forearm that Suzuki gives to Danielson about <laughs> two minutes into this match. And the way Danielson sells it like he's been shot. Summed up what professional wrestling in 2021 was for me. Here is a match you would never imagine could have happened in September 2021. Yeah. But it happens in October 2021 for free. And it's the only match this year I've gone back to watch twice. Because I watch a lot of wrestling. I watch yeah. <laughs> too much wrestling. I've watched two cards today, and I've got another two cards to go after this, and then do another podcast about wrestling. And then I'll watch another card before bed. So, you know, I to go back and watch it, I think is probably the, the highest uh, honor I can give it. So Danielson versus Suzuki for me. Yeah, and it, it was so good, and it sums up why... Danielson made that decision as well because these yeah. are the kind of matches he wanted to do and also it wasn't even on TV it was on YouTube before the TV yeah. show which is <laughs> they were just like do you want do you want Brian Danielson versus Minoru Suzuki on a Friday on YouTube here you go <laughs> like okay cheers <laughs> yeah it's like no it was just it, it just outstanding work I think it is just like I think someone said on Twitter you know, Vince was prepared to let Brian, Daniel Bryan, Brian Danielson, Daniel Bryan, yeah, he's still getting him confused. Uh, <laughs> let him go to let him go to New Japan to do some matches that he wanted to do, whereas Tony Khan will bring New Japan to Brian Danielson, and exactly, that kind of sums yeah. the whole issue up of what what's going on with professional wrestling in 2021. The needle shifted to what fans and wrestlers want, rather than what promoters were willing to tell you that you should have. We move on to our second award, which is Wrestler of the Year. Alex, mm. who is your uh, 
your particular shouts for this particular award? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we've probably mentioned most of them already, but yeah, so um, <laughs> to do very quickly WWE stuff, because honorable mentions, I know WWE fans will get mad if I don't mention Roman Reigns, because I know what I have, the little I have seen of WWE this year. He has been I'm not great. WWE fans, I'm not showing WWE fans listen to this show anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I it's think we're scaring them all off. Um, if they did they probably switched off when I started off by ranting about WWE but but yeah I will say like you know Reigns the heel character you know the promos his matches like it's all top notch like his title defences do tend to be the best things on the pay-per-views and Smackdown when he does wrestle because he is one of the few guys in that company that is actually used sparingly so actually still feels special um, I think the issue is he he's just dominated SmackDown so much and WWE doesn't seem to know what they want to do next. You know, it's it's very much spinning their wheels until they can have more Reigns and Lesnar rematches, you know. So that's that's kind it's, of the it's, downside. It's still the story of what do you do with a dominant monster when they have to lose? We're still yeah. they're still they're still struggling with that story. What twenty years after Andre versus Hogan, <laughs> we yeah, still need Andre as this as this as this viable wrestler, but he's we can't because we 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 can't. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't think they ever like have a plan ahead. You know the story with Reigns and the head of the table thing; people were raving about for months, and then it just sort of petered off because they didn't know how to keep it going and where it was going to go beyond that. You know, once he'd sort of brought the family together, it was like, well, what's the next step in this? Like, you need to think, constantly be evolving storylines, but they they don't seem to do that. Um, Speaking of which as well, like, I thought at the start of the year, Bianca Belair would be a strong contender for this award. You know, she was great at the Royal Rumble headlined mania in that great match with Sasha but oh as a running theme WWE have well and truly screwed up her push for a big chunk of the year like the way she was squashed by Becky at SummerSlam was just what what is the point of building you, you know it just it just frustrates me like constantly don't don't have a 20 second match and have her look like an absolute idiot and think that's going to be an effective way to build a star. It's it's never worked. Um, no. So, yeah, anyway, that's WWE stuff. So, as I said, I predominantly watched AEW this year. It's clearly between two guys for me, Kenny Omega and Brian Danielson. Um, Brian, you know, has the extra points of what he actually did in WWE earlier in the year, too. You know, he did main event the second night of WrestleMania, which he very hilariously pointed out in when, in his promo when he turned heel on Hangman, which was very enjoyable. Um, <laughs> uh, obviously, I mentioned his last match in the company against Reigns being a cracker as well. And then, you know, he's, he's come to AEW and he's been on fire. Great match after great match. Um, we've named a bunch of them the last section. Um, great as a babyface, great as a heel. And... It has been so good to have the American Dragon back and at his best, which we we never thought we'd see. Um, and people who didn't see him in ROH and the Indies back in the day, I think are having their eyes opened on 
just how incredible he actually is and why he is one of the most important wrestlers of the last 20 years. Um, but that said, I think I have to give the edge to Kenny Omega on this one, particularly with the news that he's been, you know, he's been putting out this level of matches this year with a <laughs> multitude of injuries as well. You know, his shoulders being the worst, but then he's, the wildest one was him revealing that he has vertigo and he's just learned to yeah. work around it. And the stuff he does in his matches, it, it that's nuts to me. And it just shows the level he is at. Um, you know, he's he's had like a bunch of classics this year. It feels like AW fans who maybe hadn't seen his work in Japan have really seen this year why people consider him one of the best of all time. You know, Danielson, we mentioned, Hangman, Ray Phoenix, Christian Cage, Jungle Boy, the triple threat against uh, Pack and Orange Cassidy, the the barbed wire match against John Moxley. You know, the the finish aside, the match yeah. leading up until that was actually really good. It just kind yeah, of got overlooked. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, say again. I said, yeah, it was, yeah. No, I was just yeah, no, it just got overlooked because obviously the technical issues at the end were what got spoke about, but it was actually a great match leading up to that. Um, and he obviously went to other companies with the belt collector gimmick as well, like great stuff in Impact. He worked like Andrade in Mexico and AAA. You know, he's a, had a banner year while working through injuries like one of his best years as a wrestler. And yeah, it would seem unkind not to give him the award <laughs> as best wrestler <laughs> in the world with taking all these things into account. Like as much as I've loved seeing Danielson back to his best, I think, yeah, it, ha- it has to be Omega just getting the edge. I, I'm going to be unkind and not give it to him. Um, I agree with you. I think I think Omega's been excellent. I think Danielson's been excellent. But for you, it was two guys. For me, it was three women. Um, okay. The three women that I think really uh, wrestler qualify for wrestler of the year in North America are Britt Baker, Thunder Rosa, and Diana Perazzo. And uh, I did give Baker my highest votes in the Steel Show Wrestling Top 100 this year because of her visibility more than anything else. But I think I think I have to go just as a pure wrestler, I have to go with Parasa. Parasa's been mm. outstanding. But just to talk about Baker, Baker has been Baker and Thunder Rosa have that killer blood black flies out match, which catapulted Baker into stardom, mm. which is often the way, even though she lost that match. And Thunder Rosa went on the road to keep herself hot. And a lot of people are like, wow, Thunder Rosa should have had the opportunities. It's like, she will. They're not forgetting about her. (laughs) They're keeping her on the world. She hasn't lost since. And everywhere else she's gone, she's been a flat-out superstar. So, you know, they're saving that feud for probably not too far away now, probably not the next pay-per-view, but the pay-per-view after she beat Ty Conte at the last pay-per-view, so they can go again. You know, and Thunder Rosa has been outstanding. She's been exemplary professional wrestler. When you consider 18 months ago, she was NWA Women's Champion. And do it, she kind of just got an opportunity and she ran with it. She took what Billy Corgan gave her and then took what Tony Khan gave her. She's been on impact. She's been everywhere. And she's been omnipresent and been outstanding in every match. Then you look at Baker. 
who isn't as technically gifted as the other two, but is such a good promo, has so much charisma. Mm. And not only, and this is something that I, I cannot believe in, in one sense, there's Rebel, a semi-retired professional wrestler who will probably admit herself didn't have a particularly great career, and she's turned her into a heat magnet. <laughs> that's, that's how much stardom Britt Baker has put together. But as far as Parazzo is concerned, she is what Ric Flair would be in this generation, what Nick Bockwinkle would be in this generation, for all the British fans, what Wayne Bridges be in this generation. The presentable face of women's professional wrestling as the champion. You know, she takes the Impact Knockouts title last year and she's run with it. And then she goes down and wins the race to race in, in AAA in a match that could have been longer, to be honest. That card was pretty damn good but i wish that match had been a bit longer i'd love to see them to go a bit longer and then she's just been dominant but she's shown what women's wrestling can be and what women's wrestling should be and as much as i like baker and, and i like thunder rosa she has kind of embodied this style and done the belt collector thing just as well as kenny omega did but she doesn't get the same kind of praise mm-hmm. and you know, it was, uh, again, we was, was talking about Final Battle last night. She turned up to challenge Roxy last night um, as, an, as a Ring of Honor women's champion. You know, so she's done all of those things and she's done all the things in the right way. So for me, she's wrestling with you. Just because I like being a little bit different and I like to highlight people that don't always get the nod. And it's like, I, there is no other reason to watch Impact Wrestling except for Diana Parasso and Norman in, in the knockout division. There just isn't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, no, they're, these, cool. they're great mentions and like, because I haven't watched Impact really this year, like I know Parasso is great, but I haven't seen enough of her stuff yeah. really to, to talk about the rest of the year. But yeah, I know she's been phenomenal. And again, it's the same thing. 20 months ago, she got fired from WWE after WrestleMania despite never having been used. She was warehoused by the WWE because essentially they didn't want AEW's designer. She was told, she was, they, they, she got contacted to be uh, all in the first, uh, what essentially would become the first AEW pay-per-view. Mm. Um, she got contacted to do that. She was signed for that. Then WWE basically signed her and told her she couldn't wrestle at all in, so she had to pull out. And then they didn't use her. Um, yeah. They, and she wrote TV, weeks and weeks of television for her and Chelsea Reed, who didn't get used either for the longest time. And then as soon as they kind of set something up as a tag team, they broke them up too, because they brought Chelsea up to Green up to the NXT roster, and Diana was just stuck in the performance center doing drills. Mm. And if you and if you cannot make money with Diana Parazzo, you do not know what you are doing. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's yeah, it's the same story so much with this and yeah. Yeah, how the writing weeks of TV thing. There's so many stories like that as well, and great ideas being pitched and them falling on deaf ears. It's yeah, yeah. it's yeah. mad. It, it's 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 insane. Like she's changed her body so she can take more bumps, so that she can be a better ring ring worker. She's she's done all the things she needed to do to be the best because she is that good. Mm. And that's that's then, and it's like you can't you can't understand where the where someone went wrong. But Impact Wrestling aren't daft, yeah. So they they took a they they took a detour and brought her in. 
Right, promotion of the year. Sorry, I was going to say it's a shame that when there was the Impact AW deal that they didn't bring it bring her in really to work with Brit because that would have been great. Like, <laughs> it seems like a missed opportunity now. I th- yeah, I think that I think two reasons. One, I think um, she was the most valuable thing Impact have, and I don't think they wanted to waste it in a feud that she would probably lose because AW is the bigger company. But I think they should have sent Jordan Grace to AEW because she talked about it openly. I want to see that forbidden door open for the women as well. I think that yeah. if they could have sent Jordan Grace or Tasha Steeles or a couple of people from uh, Impact down to AEW or vice versa, they would have done an awful lot of good business. But as it is, they didn't. Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you are right on a missed opportunity. It just didn't seem to fit right. Anyway, promotion of the year, sir. Promotion of the year. Um, bear with. I've got my got my notes in a different order. Um, yeah, I mean, guess which promotion I'm picking. It's obviously AW. <laughs> oh my bad. I, that, it's my bad. I will tell you what. Let's just put a gap in here and we'll edit this properly because it's tag team of the year. And I skipped down a page. I do apologise. Um, <laughs> no worries. <laughs> put a gap in. That should do. Right. Tag team of the year. I wonder who this might be. (laughs) (laughs) Am I that predictable? Um, Honourable mentions first before I give you the obvious answer. Um, uh, (laughs) WWE, I know the Usos reforming was really exciting. Um, I feel like, again, they've been a bit lost in the shuffle of the Roman story, but they've done some good stuff, what they've they've been able to do. Um, NXT, like, I haven't really watched a huge amount of but i know there are a bunch of great tag teams there um i just can't really comment hugely because i've not seen a huge amount but i know you know imperium are the current champs i did see their match at war games and it was great of course because they're great um msk legado del fantasma being great from the little i've seen i know like msk were great in impact and pwg prior to signing so that would track um grizzled young veterans are still there and they're always great <laughs> aren't they let's face it so um, they should be winning all the things always in my opinion <laughs> obviously love those guys um yeah uh, aw side um you know shout out to the acclaimed you know i know that that dodgy promo aside um <laughs> they have actually come on leaps and bounds this year um Santana and Ortiz, I love, but I think they've been underutilized a bit this year. I'm hoping we'll see that change a bit. You would expect they'll be the next challengers for the Lucha Bros early next year, so we can see them bring that great feud they had an impact to AEW. Um, also, shout out to 2.0 for just being <laughs> so great and just so fun. Yeah, just I love those guys so much. Um, I've been I've been a fan of Two Point for the last ten years, and they never fail to make me smile. And it's just like I don't know the heels of the minute. It was just like, oh, it's Two Point They're ace. They are so funny, and obviously doing yeah, being really funny on being the elite now as well. Um, uh, and yeah, I, my favorite trio's name was the year they they were in the King of Trios and and tagged with. El Generico, so they were in two point El Generico. Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that's ace. 
But yeah, I know um, that they're really close to like Kevin Owens and um, Sami Zayn, and obviously El Generico, wherever he is at the moment. Uh, down in Mexico, still with the orphans, I understand. So I hear, yeah. But yeah, yes. they've uh, two point It's just been great to see them kind of let loose on AEW and use. <laughs> used in a great spot for them and they've got to work with like sting and cm punk and guys like that they are they are loving life you can tell um and great backup for daniel garcia as well who's obviously like a really great prospect that they've been able to add like a, a very funny faction element to that as well which has been great they can't get a bit of heater really those two are just perfect for the job a hundred percent yeah Love yeah, those guys. Yeah. Um, and then obvi- obvious shout-outs to the Lucha Bros, <laughs> MTR, um, who've been consistently great all year. Lucha Bros obviously were in my match of the year. The feud between Luchas and FTR has been really good. Looks like we're getting FTR versus the Briscoes next year too, which should be very Ooh. nice indeed. We'll see how that develops. Um yeah, I mean, we know who I'm picking, don't we, as the winner. Um, it's obvious <laughs> books. Um, they have had another phenomenal year. They've just reiterated why they're the best tag team of their generation for me. Obviously spent most of the year as the AW tag champs. They turned heel, um, which, you know, they've been killing it both in and out of the ring as even more annoying <laughs> over-the-top heel work than they've done before. They're, they're, they're just so good at that, let's face it. And it's funny because it, the other week, so they obviously won the PWI um, top 50 tag teams, I think it is. Um, and I saw comments on Facebook, the same stuff of like, oh, they just have the same match every time. They're just flashy spot monkeys, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> those Those opinions in 2021 are so embarrassing. <laughs> like, when you actually look at how creative they are, how good they are at telling stories, and their ability to actually make all their matches so different from one another while still doing all the crazy kind of flashy moves they're known for, but making all the matches seem different, telling different stories all the time. Um and yeah, there, there was just loads of great stuff from them this year. Tags, trios, um, you know, if there are people out there who haven't got them in the conversation as one of the best tag teams ever, I think you need to have a word with yourself because I don't know if any team has had as many great feuds and matches so consistently over the years as these guys. And yeah, it was it was another year of just loads of classic matches from them, to be honest. I think you have to, I mean, you have to go back a long way to, like, I'm talking like the Andersons and, yeah. like, you know, um, the Pork Brothers in the 60s and Rush, Crusher and Bruiser, you know, those kind of tag teams that were in the AWA for 57 years and wrestled everyone. <laughs> um, uh, I think, you know, it could be because it was just because they've been that good for that long and people forget, like, you know, Matt sold his back injury when he, they were New Japan regulars. He sold his back injury that well that his own mother thought he was injured for three years. Yeah, it's the um, longest back injury ever. <laughs> like the amount he was bringing it into yeah. matches. Yeah, it's just funny. It's it's because they got over in a different way. 
And they got over in a different way by being flashy and then developing storytelling afterwards instead of developing storytelling, which takes a lot longer <laughs> because it does, you know, it is like they grab your attention and then kind of like pull you in. It's, it's a different way of just doing the same thing. But it, I mean, it, it, it's the bit that gets me is like, you go back to some of them tag teams of the 80s and, and everyone moaned that they were going to like the Rock and Roll Express and the Midnight's and all that. And I guarantee they got told they were doing too much far too early and they were going too fast. And they used to, I mean, it was just, we, we talked about when we talked about Matt Rocco's passing last year, mm. the veterans told Rocco and Jones and, and Dynamite and uh, all of those guys, oh, you do too much and you, you ruin it for the rest of us, basically. And, you know, and even Cornette said it this year, like, oh, if the women start in, like, Thunder Rosa and Brett Baker have to do all these flashy things, then the men will have to catch up with them. And it's like, and then and it'll just ruin the product because and it's like, take a breath. Yeah. Take your head <laughs> out of your ass and try again. Because it's just like, it's, I'm, I'm sick of it. It's like yeah. wrestle a match you want to wrestle. I think this is the differences between, like, we talked about the difference between sport entertainment and pro wrestling is pro wrestlers know what to give an audience to make. Pro wrestling is giving an audience a product that they want to watch as fans yeah. and wrestlers want to wrestle as wrestlers. Whereas WWE are always chasing an audience and making assumptions about what they want. And that's the difference, I think. I think it's also like there are a generation of wrestling fans now who've obviously the main thing they've seen is WWE. And that's just one way to tell, you know, for wrestling to, to work and for stories to be told. It's, you know, there are all these different styles of wrestling, you know, strong style, lucha libre, you know, there, there are so many different things that, that you can do that I think people get hung up on. This is the right way for wrestling to operate. And it's not like there are, there are a million and one different ways you can tell a story in a professional wrestling ring. And it's, Obviously, some are wrong, but not many, you know. <laughs> I was talking with Walter Eats this morning, who uh, he's a we write pro wrestling illustrated on New Japan. And um, he's has some interesting takes on professional wrestling from time to time. <laughs> he, he fell out with he fell out with Dave Vixen's fan early this year. He hasn't fallen out with Dave Vixen's fan. New Vixen are all right now. We're mates. <laughs> Still love Vix. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, me and Bex talk all the time. But um, yeah, it, uh, um, Walter was saying, like, I don't get why wrestling fans spend so much time hating other wrestling they don't watch. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's something, you know, it's just, uh, I, think, I personally think it's from the ECW thing of, like, you know, pro- support the promotion at all costs. Um, yeah. And then, it's just that because they didn't have big stars, so they had to sell something. So they sell the promotion, and that's where a lot of it comes from, I think. But yeah, as well, you're right. Time. It's just like a lot, and a lot of it is like filtered through this year. Like a lot of people are losing, therefore it's the end of their careers and stuff. And it's like, oh, I can't remember. Like, oh, Minoru Suzuki's lost twice in AEW, therefore it's no good to anyone. He's being jobbed out. It's like. He went 25 minutes with Brian Danielson. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think he'll and be dominate, okay. <laughs> and dominated him for most of the match. You know, it's mm. like, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah it's, uh, again, that is definitely a WWE thing of when 
and that's because they never follow stuff up. That's the difference. Like AEW, in my experience, is people lose matches, but they lose matches at the right time for the most part. Yeah. And it makes sense, which is classic pro wrestling booking. Like people have to lose. Like, you, you know, there's got to be losers. <laughs> but that's that's how this works. But that's, that's the that's the WWE 50-50 booking deal that mm. makes me less interested in watching it. I can understand, well, we've got to keep everyone hot so everyone can challenge for the title at any time. It's like, no, no, you don't have to do that. Yeah. You don't have to do that at all. You can get behind one or two people and make them stars. The others are role players. I, I watched The Last Dance this week, mm. um, the story of Michael Jordan, Scotty Pippen, Rodman, and Steve Kerr and the, the Chicago Bulls. And I was really fascinated by a player called Steve Kerr, who was in the three-peat, the, the, the three-peat, second three-peat team. And he replaced Bill Paxson, who was in the first three-peat team in Chicago. And he kind of, and he, he was saying, I'm a role player. I get maybe five shots a game, but I understand that's my role in the Bulls. The Bulls are not good if I don't get my five shots in, 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 the, in the hoop. So I, that's, he said, I'm a role player. That's my job. And plenty of wrestlers understand that they are role players within wrestling companies and they're not bothered about losing. There's the classic Jerry Lynn thing. I lost loads more matches than I ever won, but I was a professional wrestler for 20 years and made a good career and a good living out of it. It's not, yeah. you know, it, yeah, if your favorite team's on a losing end every week, then fair enough, I can understand why you're upset, but that's not it's just, just the way it is. But anywho, any we're talking about general wrestling philosophy, and we should be talking about the awards. So let's move on. Feud of the year, sir. No, oh, no, my tag team of the year. I yeah, your tag, tag team. team we year. got sidetracked. <laughs> we got sidetracked. Um, I'm going to go with the, the path less trodden again. Um, I'm going to give it to Finn Juice, who spent most of the year in Impact Wrestling and New Japan Strong. And Fair. just just because they're my favorite tag team, and they get uh, they don't get the props they deserve. They're a glue tag team. They like beer and wrestling. <laughs> what more could you want? Who That's doesn't, it. Right? It, it doesn't like beer and wrestling. You get like you know they 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 turn up. They had a big feud with um, Dark Gallows and Machine Gun Carl Anderson over you know them treating them like crap when they were in the New Japan Dojo, and then <laughs> <laughs> and they won the Impact Wrestling Tag Team titles. Took them back to Japan. I think they defended them once in Japan on a house show. Went back to the states and lost them again. But they've been there in Impact all year long, and they're kind of like. I'm kind of concerned because I'm not sure if they'll ever make it back to New Japan because mm -hmm. both of their contracts will be up soon. And I kind of wanted a G1 out of both of them before they left. Yeah. Um, I know David Finley has talked about the fact he actually prefers American wrestling to Japanese wrestling. He thinks he's possibly done his time in New Japan pro wrestling. And I know that there's more options for, Finn, for Juice Robinson than there was when he went to New Japan so four or five years ago now. And they're a cracking tag team who work well together. And they've got a good character and they know what they're doing and they're good workhorse wrestlers. And there's, you know, they'd be good in Impact, they'd be good in AEW, they'd be good anywhere except WWE, who will not understand what they're about. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, 100%, because, because of the New Japan affiliation, I sort of forgot that they've worked most of the year in, <laughs> in the US. But yeah, they, they're such a great team. And yeah, I'd, lo I'd love to see them do a little shot with AEW I think that would be really good yeah but I, yeah I'm going to put them down as tag team of the year not because I, I, the books are great and, and feel Lucha Bills and stuff but 
sometimes it's just your own personal taste and I will work for induce into anything I can possibly manage. So I'm I think that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> and it's my show. <laughs> All right then. Feud of the year, sir. Feud of the year. Um, honorable mentions. Again, I'll throw in a WWE one. Um, Edge versus Seth Rollins got a lot of love from WWE fans this year. I know. Seem, you know, promos seem good from what I saw. So, um, yeah, shout out to that one. Um, in AW, Sheedan Serena as an honorable mention, which I've really yeah. enjoyed. Really, really nicely simple told story of Serena turning on Sheeda, stopping her getting that 50th win. You know, just like a heel turn rooted in logic of like being overlooked, yeah. you know, attacking her, costing her the place in the the TBS title tournament. Um, and every match they have is just great because they're both great. So it, it's been awesome. I know they've got another one at winter is coming, which is obviously after we record, but would anticipate that that will be tremendous as well. I'm really looking forward to that. That's That's been a really fun sort of mini feud that just kind of popped up out of nowhere, but it was brilliant. Um, another obvious one to mention, short, but so, so sweet. CM Punk versus Eddie Kingston was obviously <laughs> phenomenal. <laughs> them going toe-to-toe on the mic was beautiful. <laughs> Everything you wanted from them, the pull-apart brawling, the great match we got at the end of it as well. Um, again, just seemed to be something they suddenly thought of a few weeks out from the pay-per-view and they just built it perfectly so quickly because they're both quite talented promos <laughs> you, you might know uh punk and kingston they're quite good on the mic so it didn't take a lot for them to build the match um so yeah i, I love that um yeah my, my pick again probably an obvious one and it, it seems strange to just call it the feud of the year because it's been built for so long, but I think I have to pick this one because it was so well built and then so well paid off. Um, Kenny Omega and Hangman Adam Page, um, for me, has to be one of the best told modern wrestling storylines. Um, you know, like a modern feud for our time, <laughs> if, you, if you know what I mean. Yeah. You know, it covered... It all it covered all like classic stuff of the broken friendships, the betrayal. They were a tag team, then they broke up and they feuded. It it covered you know the baby face having to having to lose at the start of his journey when he first challenged for the world title. Then he needed to fight his way back to the top and win the title. But beyond that, it was also about Hangman and his own battle with his own insecurities and his own self confidence and actually needing to surround himself with supportive people and believe that he could do it. And, you know, he could be the best. He deserved to be the best, which is we've never really seen that in North American wrestling because it's so, you know, macho baby face must be strong and must overcome and must believe in themselves. (laughs) It was, this was so much more nuanced than that. And, you know, the anxious millennial cowboy <laughs> moniker, you know, it, it it was just such a kind of baby face for the modern times. Um, yeah. And in yeah. terms of in terms of this year, like we got lots of like twists and turns this year alone, where you know we thought like the Hangman Dark Order match, um, 
versus the Elite would be the moment that he won and earned his title shot, but he ended up losing that. Then he went away on paternity leave, came back to the big moment in the casino ladder match to get his shot at the title. And then, yeah, the promos between him and Omega leading up to that were just were great and obviously drew on all the history and then paid off in the perfect way where he actually won, you know, when he needed to win. <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously the book's a big part of that as well, because again, they are very good storytellers. So they were part of, you know, um, yeah. coming out and kind of giving him their approval, not interfering. It was just all such a well-rounded story. And it's, it's that thing where I think in, we kind of spoke about it with, because WWE have dom- dominated the market for so long, people are so used to, I think, storylines not, being fully paid off and not kind of logically <laughs> developing, yeah. you know, because it's all very, let's swerve them and, you know, get heat and do this and that. And it was, this was exactly the story it needed to be told over, you know, a few years longer, really before AW even formed in many ways. And then they pulled the trigger at the right time. You know, he needed to have, his moment at that point, he needed to win the title and kind of finish that chapter of the feud. Um, and yeah, they should all be really proud of the work they put into it, I think, and how successful it was in making Hangman the biggest star in the company as well. Because I think it's maybe forgotten now that when he first challenged for the title, reactions were quite muted for him back then. And him losing that and going on this journey um mm. you know got him over massively because people um you know resonated with him so much as a character and you know his in-ring work is obviously great and everything else but yeah it, it just worked so well with the elite them being the perfect foils to him it yeah all led to the perfect payoff in the end so yeah <laughs> I, I had to go for that one it's i mean yeah it's the it's 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 like you said, I mean, it, you don't have to win to get over. Sometimes the journey's enough. And, you know, that, I think that's the thing. I mean, it's like, mm. especially if you're a babyface. I mean, like, the, the old school way of booking is heels come in, they beat everybody in 10 seconds flat, and then the chase starts. The story isn't the heels winning the belts. The story is the babyface getting their act together and chasing after the heels to get the belts back. Mm-hmm. That's the story, you know, and I think that's that's the thing that, you know, and that kind of what happened with AW. You got, you know, um, Jericho's the champion when Hangman goes for the title, and then, you know, all of the stuff that happened in the next two years is really great and North American style storytelling, which you don't get in Japan, but it's got a lot of elements of what the DDT, what DDT would do, mm. um, especially with a character like Hangman Page. It's got elements of what New Japan would do. So it's, you know, it's Omega and the books taking elements of where they've been before and it's bits of um, DDT booking and it's bits of New Japan booking and applying it to Ring of Honor booking in an old school sense. You know, that's that's wrestling. That's what it's supposed to be. You know, there is no there are no new ideas under the sun, but it's how you deploy them at the right time. Yeah, absolutely. I have gone in a different direction because I don't watch North American wrestling too much on an episodic format. I tend to dip in and out. So the feud of the year for me 
was Minoru Suzuki versus John Moxley because it was mm. so well played out. We, you know, this is we get so many surprises in wrestling now. It's like the nineties again. Surprises, <laughs> yeah. There are there, there are no genuine surprises in many senses because we don't see things the way we used to in professional wrestling because everybody finds out stuff about stuff, <laughs> you know, far too quickly, <laughs> and. When first of all you start off with that match with uh, John Moxley versus um, oh I was watching Wrestle earlier today and I can't remember his name <laughs> Cozy uh, Tenko um, uh, oh good lord what's his name Cozy Cutter Joshi Tenzan's tag partner I'm gonna fuck him up <laughs> I'm gonna put a gap in it because my mind my brain's gone to mush I've watched so much wrestling today. <laughs> whilst waiting for whilst plasterers were plastering upstairs, I thought to catch up with all best of super juniors. Um, ten, Josie, Satoshi Kojima. That's it. You start off with that great match with Satoshi Kojima, um, uh, wrestling John Moxley, and he win. Moxley wins, which you kind of expect, even though the match is ten times better than anyone was expecting it to be. Um, and then all of a sudden, Kazu Nirinari opens up and you see the king. And then you see <laughs> Minoru Suzuki walking out in his tracksuit the way he did at Wrestle Kingdom two years ago. And you're like, oh my God, it's on again. And the place goes absolutely crazy. And he gets the biggest pop of the night, even though Brian Danielson turns up on that night. And you look back and you listen. I used to listen to competitive. And I was like, Suzuki was a genuine surprise. There was kind of like... Danielson, probably, and he did get a massive, massive pop. I'm not knocking him, but no one expected Suzuki to be there. There was no rumours he was going to be there, mm. and he just turns up to wrestle. And because you'd seen Moxley versus Suzuki before, there was so much anticipation, and it just absolutely blew me away. And it was like, that feud ends up in Arthur Ashe Stadium in front of 10,000 people. And again, if someone had told you in August of 2021 that Minoru Suzuki <laughs> would be tagging with Lance Archer against Eddie Kingston and John Moxley in Arthur Ashe Tennis Stadium <laughs> and oh. they were going to main event on a national television programme, you would go, you are mental, go away. And was that not <laughs> the one where Homicide had a run-in at the end as well? Oh, yeah. <laughs> just to throw that oh, yeah. into the mix too. Just, just to... Just, homicide turned up. <laughs> <laughs> You know, hasn't <laughs> wrestled for all AEW since. Just came to help his mate out Eddie Kingston. That that was the only reason why. And it was like, <sighs> and then of course it ends up with Suzuki going on this massive run of all the major promotions in North America, <laughs> where he reasserts his legend um, and wrestles Homicide in New York, in Queens, New York, the following day, um, brilliantly. And ends the match with I don't speak looking much English, but fucking homicide. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that's a few. That was like it powered everything that went through GCW and all the independence on that tour because there's Moxley did so many favors for GCW and so many favors for the independent wrestling scene with that match with Suzuki because mm. he made Suzuki a draw. And everybody knew who he was and what a legend he was. Because uh, AEW don't really do house shows, it meant that Suzuki got 
a big payday from all these indies. These indies got so much cachet from having him there. It was just, it was good business for the wrestling industry, not just good business for AW John Moxley, Minoru Suzuki. Yeah. And like you say, we've got so many great matches from that indie run as well. Yeah. And of course, it, and for New Japan Strong, because they had the rematch of New Japan, New Japan Strong, mm. which has, has not been as good as it was last year from basically because they've, they've stopped booking it as a, like in the pandemic, they did episodic TV a la Memphis on a Saturday morning kind of wrestling. And now they just tape out shows and they're a bit more together and it doesn't seem to scan as well. But there we go. Anywho, probably the reason why we haven't talked about it much is because they're not as, it's kind of become a bit of a mismatch. It's not as cool as it once was. But anywho, shall we move on to promotion of the year? I, again, this might be predictable from you, sir. <laughs> yeah, I don't even, I've not even really got honourable mentions on this one because I'm picking AW, obviously. <laughs> it's not really a shock <laughs> given how much I've spoken about them. Um, yeah, it was, you know, a huge year for them as a company. You know, so many successes. They've gone from strength to strength, which we've spoken about a lot of the, the great things they do. Like, to caveat as well, they're not perfect by any means you know they still need to put more focus on the women's division although that's clearly improved over the course of the year um you know their pacing and their structuring of shows can still sometimes be not as good as maybe it it should be but again that's clearly something they're working on and the roster's obviously growing so much and so quickly that some wrestlers are getting lost in the shuffle slightly but I think more time on the TV shows like Rampage will probably go to two hours you would expect next year will obviously help massively on that front Um, they've got the YouTube shows with Dark and Dark Elevation so people are working all the time it's just making sure enough people get on the TV shows really Um, but yeah like those are sort of minor gripes because They've just had so many amazing moments and so many amazing matches throughout the year, you know. And more than anything else, everyone looks like they enjoy working there and looks like they're having fun, you know. <laughs> Which, imagine <laughs> imagine that as a concept in a big company, you know. Um, obviously, all the signings they've made, um, the way the roster's grown, um, so many great singles matches, but this real focus on tag team and trios wrestling as well, which is obviously refreshing for such a, you know, the big, the major US companies for them to have that focus on tag team wrestling. Um, all four of their pay-per-view shows this year have been absolutely stellar. Every TV special they do has been great. The weekly TV is always pretty much on point. Um you know, like with Dynamite, um, I never come away and think that was a waste of two hours watching that. Even, yeah. you know, even an average show, I always come away having, you know, been thoroughly entertained, you know, had fun, seen great wrestling, seen great promos and feel like things are being advanced in the stories. And there's a reason to tune in every week, which shouldn't be a rarity for a professional wrestling company, but <laughs> you know it is like you know that so many big companies do not do those that simple thing well um and it has been a breath of fresh air um 
and like I say, they added Rampage, which is the quickest hour in pro wrestling. It's always great. It's so focused on the matches. They've done the great cross-promotional stuff. They brought in guys like Minoru Suzuki, like you said. Tomohiro Ishii came in um, a few weeks ago. Um, and yeah, storylines are consistent. They're logical. Angles are paid off. Um, there's an intrinsic kind of old school logic to a lot of the booking with the modern flair that's being put into the matches. And like you say, the, the kind of war of that fans are having where, oh, AEW is better or WWE is better is kind of a bit tiring, but they have made a dent in WWE's ratings and that has to be, it's not something we really thought we'd see so quickly. Like the strides they've made, in terms of the ratings they're getting and let's face it, the the fear they've put in WWE to an extent has been, been it has completely freshened up the industry. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with a a bit of a wrestling war that's been fun in the past. So it's kind of nice (laughs) to see that again. Yeah, no, I, uh, I agree with you. Um, I don't agree with you on the award because I'm going to give it to another promotion, but Mm. I do agree with you. you Yeah. I uh, just give it. I will agree with you that AEW has been incredibly focused and done some incredible things in the last twelve months. The the company I'm going to give it to is Ring of Honor because mm, yeah, I've I've watched more pay per views from Ring of Honor than any other company, like back to back, all the way through, beginning to end. And it started off because Marcus said, "Hey, I want to look at this. What do you reckon?" And I've gone, "All oh. right." And then the next one, I'm like, "Hey, Marcus, do you want to look at this?" <laughs> Because they dragged me in. They had a roster that was incredibly diverse. They were all working incredibly hard. And while AEW have done the big things, and while GCW have grown exponentially, it's Ring of Honor that kind of just did all the right things in all the right places and told the right stories. A wrestler like Jonathan Gresham would not have a major league wrestling career without Ring of Honor. And they made him a superstar. You know, guys like uh, uh, the the Kingdom getting back together again is an incredibly good story to tell. And only Ring of Honor could do it, and they did a cracking job with it. You know, even wrestlers and teams which are kind of passe in the sense of like the Bruscos and one thing or another still had a place they could work and do really cool stuff. And Ring of Honor was just a solid performer all year wrong. That's one of the reasons why I'm so disappointed that the year has ended the way it has done for them, and I hope they yeah. do get their act together and come back in the spring. So let's talk about comeback of the year. Whose is your comeback of the year, Alex? I wonder. <laughs> has there been a big comeback in wrestling this year? I think it's been quite oh, quiet, hasn't it? Uh, uh, <laughs> um, boring. Carol. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's been pretty dull. There's not been many. Um, yeah, a few, a few honourable mentions before I say the the obvious answer that we all know I'm picking because because um, when I was looking back, there has actually been quite a lot of comebacks this year. Um, it's obviously just kind of been overshadowed by the big one, which we'll chat about in a second. But um, Christian Cage was the shock return of the year for a little while um easy to forget now but he was um obviously was out for for all those years with the concussion issues made that surprise comeback at the royal rumble which was 
um, a genuine shock, a really cool moment. And then WWE somehow, again, didn't have anything for him, which just baffles me, but sums them up. So he signed for AW, which, you know, he's had a great year. He headlined the show of the year for me in AW All Out um, in that great match against Kenny Omega in the main event. He won the Impact title as well, did some great work for them too, which was was really good. Um, and he's been doing great work with Jurassic Express, um, kind of mentoring Jungle Boy, it feels like. And it feels like a heel turn is coming, which should be a lot of fun because he's very, very good as a heel. <laughs> so he's it's always enjoyable to watch Christian as a heel. So I think that will be really good. Um, Leo Rush as well um, had said he was going to retire. Um, yeah, yeah. In that initial appearance with AEW, he um, made a, made his comeback fully this year with AEW. Um, started slow, and then uh, when he got in the ring, I think everyone was, like, reminded how ludicrously good he actually is and the stuff he can do. Um, yeah, I think he reopened everyone's eyes and... Because it felt like he was sort of a heel and then he was a baby face for them five minutes of wrestling because of all the amazing stuff he can do. Um, so, yeah, that was a big one. And then Sting, of course. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> returned right at the end of, of last year. I mean, we said, like, maybe we include December in this anyway, so that would, would count. But even if not, you know, he debuted at, at Winter is Coming and... He didn't wrestle again until this year. That's when we actually saw him have the matches. Started with that cinematic style match against Team Taz, which was really good. But then he got in the ring again and had some great sort of tag team matches and looked fantastic doing so. You know, they AW have used him sparingly in a way where he just gets to shine and do cool stuff. Um and basically end his career on his terms after WWE misused him, let's be honest, completely. Um, so that's been really nice to watch. Um, can I throw Brian Danielson into the mix here as well? <laughs> not really. He took about four <laughs> weeks off. That's not a comeback. It's kind of a comeback because, you know, it's the mm. American Dragon. So, mm. uh, well, we'll no. put that as a side. I'm saying it's, I'm saying it's a comeback because... It's, you know, it's not the Daniel Bryan that we saw in WWE. Let's put it that way. It's the best wrestler in the world who kicks people's heads in again. So um, enjoying that a lot. Um, WWE side, I know people will probably say Becky Lynch. I think they botched that <laughs> quite badly, to be honest, um, with the she, summer. She's because she, she, became, she went from being the biggest star in the industry to being another wrestler. Yeah, exactly, which is just... Um, Kind of sing really. Um, yeah. So yeah, the, John Cena came back. That was that was pretty good from what I saw. But yeah, I feel like WWE botched <laughs> quite a bit of that, which is a running theme. Um, yeah, there are a lot of comebacks. I'm sure there's a few I'm forgetting there as well. Guess who the pick is? It's obviously CM Punk. It it has to be. Um, the return we never thought we'd see you know seven years out the man who wwe made hate professional wrestling and everything it stood for and he's 
back in a professional wrestling ring again. It's it's been pretty wild, and the you know the the moment of his return, the pop for his return. I don't know if we'll ever see anything like that again. The that reaction to him in Chicago, you know, selling out an, an arena based on a rumor <laughs> is um, <laughs> something we've never really seen before. And yeah, it was it was just perfect. Like the the promo he caught the the ice cream bars for everyone at the end it's yeah it it was great like cm punk is a he's a divisive guy we know that but he is um trying to get too deep here uh, he is um, no. he's a guy who's very special to me like he he's a guy who gave his all to wrestling he gave his all to wwe and wwe was not kind to him and he stood up for what he believed in. He stood up to the bad guys. And not enough people do that in life. And to see him rediscover his passion for the business after they took that away from him and kind of ruined <laughs> his mental health, his physical health, you know, it should be championed, you know. And it, it is quite emotional to see him back after so long. And, you know, on top of that, from my point of view, like, He's one of the guys who really got me into independent wrestling. You know, him and Samoa Joe's series in Ring of Honor was so important to me when I was growing up, (laughs) if you like, as a teenager (laughs) watching wrestling. Um, You know, at a time when WWE was in an absolute state and that match and that series, like, changed my perception of what wrestling could be and opened me up to this whole new world. And I've basically followed him for his entire career since then and yeah to see him happy and healthy and absolutely killing it again is is great yeah i will i'll stop rambling now sorry but yeah cm punk it's it's great to have cm punk back no he's my pick as well um yeah i thought (laughs) thought that might be the one where we actually align I can't. I mean, I can't really pick anyone else as much as the people you mentioned have, have had great comeback years. It's it was just done perfectly, you know. Even when Cornette said when uh, Brian last asked Cornette on the show, like, "Well, how how do you think it went?" He said it went perfectly. He said I couldn't have done it better. He said if I was producing that show, I could not have done it better than I did that show. And he said I don't think anyone else could have done it. He said I might have done things differently, but he said not too much. So when your biggest detractor says you have done the perfect wrestling yeah, sport, yeah. <laughs> it's like you can't you can't argue with that. And you you and we're gonna mention the last dance again, but you do not understand the relationship the city of Chicago has with that building. Mm. And it's mixed in with the Bulls and Jordan and Pippin and Rodman and and CM Punk and WWE and wrestling history and you know that building means an awful lot to Chicago and CM Punk means an awful lot to Chicago and I mean like in the same way that Bruno does to New York yeah you know that's that kind of level of emotion that only he can bring into a building now there's lots of people in that building weren't from Chicago but the majority were and there are very few wrestlers have that kind of connection with that kind of audience, not for a long, long, long time in a specific place because wrestling isn't regional anymore. Mm. You know, 
but the fact that they managed to make that work in just the right spot at just the right time. And the fact that, you know, you couldn't hear the song when he came <laughs> You heard the first three notes, and that was it. Yeah. It was just guttural screaming from grown adults. <laughs> yeah. That's, and that's, that's, that's over. That's a whole level of over that you don't get now. You just don't. And it's like AW brought over back in a way that I've not seen in a WWE show in a long time, in a way I've seen not seen on any other form of wrestling in a long time. You know, and it, for me, it's different because I watch most of the Japanese wrestling and no one's allowed to cheer anymore. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. So, any, but it means I'm much more sensitive to the difference in reactions when I do hear people cheer. And it's just like that was as good as it's going to get in modern wrestling. You know? Yeah. And it was, yeah. So, yeah. Most improved wrestler, sir. Most improved. Um, so, yeah, I've got a few names written down here. So, Bron Breaker, we actually mentioned um, at the start of the show and the name change and everything else. But <laughs> given how, you know, new he is, how green he is, um, he he's a natural, basically, you know, and you've seen him improve over... Um, the course of the year from working with, you know, guys like Champa who are, you know, have got all this experience they can pass on. He's been the real bright spot of this NXT rebrand. <laughs> there hasn't been a huge amount, but he's, you know, what they want from this rebrand of like developing these new stars. He's clearly such a talent. And obviously it is, it's in his blood <laughs> really, as you, as you said before, like he is a natural, yeah. um, Others, uh, AW, Ty Conti, um, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she, you know, she was released by NXT a few years ago. She's improved, I think, leaps and bounds every year. She's one of the most improved wrestlers last year. And then she improved massively again this year, I feel. You know, she actually ended the year um, getting that AW women's title shot um, on their last pay-per-view in a really good match, cracked out a gun mm. pile driver as well <laughs> along the way, which was <laughs> amazing. Um, and I think that's a, a testament to how AW are investing in the younger talent and trying to help them improve. Um, Jungle Boy is another example of that, who yeah. I think is was such a talent anyway. But the improvement over the course of the year has been there to see, you know, in his overall work, like his ring presence, his his mic work, which, you know, people kind of joked about that he couldn't really cut a promo. And I don't think that is the case now. I think he's really grown in that area, which, you know, Christian has obviously helped him with. I think you can see he's taken him under his wing and that's been a big thing of bringing guys like Christian Cage in and, you know, Punk, Brian, all these guys, Cole, um, can obviously help mentor these guys as well to an extent. And I think you've seen that with Jungle Boy. Um, I was also thinking, like, do I do I mention guys like Daniel Garcia, Jonathan Gresham, Lee Moriarty? But it's like, they were great anyway. So <laughs> it's they're constantly think, improving. So it's uh, they don't really fit into most improved because they're just great no, anyway. I think Gresham probably, it's not so much that he wasn't great to start with. He's always been great. Mm. But he feels much more comfortable in his own skin this year. Yeah. He feels like a star this year. 
you know, he feels like a guy who should be having an impact on North American wrestling. And he was, you know, is all this talk about the match with Suzuki at GCW, oh, there was an awful lot of stiff stuff going on there. I'm going to put this young whippersnapper in his place before he starts doing things. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> With some clip around the ear roll from, from Suzuki a time or two. And um, I think as well, I think, you know, Danielson probably sees that as well. I think Danielson would love to have a match regression. Yeah, I feel like Gresham is surely like he's going to sign with AW. It makes so much sense, you know. I, 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 I honestly, I have no reason why they signed Jay Lethal. It's like you've got mm-hmm. Jonathan Gresham, you've got Jay Lethal. No yeah. offense to Jay Lethal, but he's at the end of his career and he's done great things. But you sign Jonathan Gresham, that's a no-brainer. You yeah, a hundred percent. I, I hope we see that because yeah, there's yeah. so many great matches he can have and yeah Danielson would definitely be at the top of that list would love to see that match as I'm sure everyone would um Um, but yes uh so yeah so they they have improved but it seems strange to kind of call them out in a category like this but my pick and this one might sound a little wild because he was a guy who was so great in WWE consistently but so underutilized um but I think he's gone to another level this year, and that's Miro. Um, he yeah. he came into AEW last year, and there was obviously a lot of excitement because he was he was so consistently good in WWE and so wasted for the amount of ideas he came up with and the talent he clearly had. And then in AEW, I thought the start of his run was actually quite disappointing. You know, the the alliance with Kip Sabian, the best man character. Even his promos, it didn't quite fit together. But then when he turned on Kip and started doing the Redeemer stuff, everything suddenly clicked into place. And it was, it felt like it wasn't just him achieving his potential that we knew he had. It felt like he surpassed it by quite a bit. He's been tremendous this year. Um, You know, his promos, his promos are consistently excellent. Um, I saw someone tweet this, and it's so true, that Miro as TNT champion basically cut the same promo every week that he loves God and has a hot wife. But every time, (laughs) they were amazing. Like, every single one was amazing because the lines he was coming up with, the passion in them, they were so good, and he's so believable as, like, a big, scary heel champion. And now he's angry at God because he lost the TNT title, which is brilliant and he's going to make god fear him which i'm looking forward to um but yeah the run he had as tnt champion for like a big chunk of the year um the way he told the story of being you know he's a dominant unstoppable champion but he was given enough to his opponents to make them look good and like they could pull off the win um before he ultimately destroys them at the end um and then sort of slowly revealing that he had this kind of Achilles heel in his neck, which was really clever and started to play into, into mm. the story of his matches and why, you know, he obviously ends up losing the title in part because of that. And maybe the best line in a promo all year, although guys like Punk and Kingston might have something to say about it, but 
the line of you gave me a body of granite and a neck of sand is that some kind of joke is just phenomenal <laughs> as a line in a promo. <laughs> um yeah he's he's been phenomenal and it'll be interesting to see what he does next year where you think they're going to push him towards the world title you would imagine once hangman and and danielson is done it seems like he's logically going to be there him and him and punk are kind of the next guys yeah i mean i i think i think the mirror's grown so much because obviously i didn't i've never seen him before he joined aw so i mean (laughs) i i think the the same stuff i quite enjoyed because it was quite clearly he was taking a gear down to gear up Mm. and he was doing some daft and silly stuff to give himself a place in the company and then he was going to bounce off that and he was just waiting for the right moment for it to happen um even the stuff with orange cassidy through that was just good entertainment wrestling i liked it a lot yeah. um so yeah I, I agree with you to that but i am going to disagree with you on the the most improved wrestler i'm going to go with ali catch because Ooh. um ali was a pretty damn good wrestler 12 months ago and they were getting big shows and big matches and things were going well but they weren't quite clean together in as far as you know um a cohesive narrative that you could move forward with and then she drops Ali Cat and she becomes Ali Catch and all of a sudden she's everywhere and she's the star and she is a badass heel and she's um, trying to, you know, take the things that she was always asking for because no one's given to them to her yet and she deserves better. And that was realistic. You know, she was uh, an incredibly watchable, charismatic wrestler. Um, but then she kind of like turned this on and then all of a sudden it's like, now you're going to be a star. And she has become a star. Her and Effie are the biggest thing GCW have outside of... Um, uh, the the big main stars, but they don't need titles to get over, and their you know their feud with Chelsea Green and Matt Cardona is what's mm. driving the narrative of the whole organisation forward. Um, um, and yeah, I am absolutely over the moon with her work this year, and I think she only better things can come from next year. And whether she, I I'm not she did do some AEW stuff I think this year, but I'm not sure if she could translate that into a major company run or do her and Effie and all those other people in GCW just turn GCW into a major company because they seem to be on the verge of something big yeah yeah so a great show you know they're doing it in a way that's financially sustainable and they're doing it in a way that's getting bigger and building on momentum of the shows they don't have the TV money that the other companies do, but it does. Their model doesn't require it, so I don't see why they need it. Um, and they've got a loyal fan base that will clearly spend money anywhere in North America to go see them. So I think, as long as that money holds out, <laughs> they are they have got a lot of good chance of making GCW not to replace Ring of Honor, but certainly take that spot as the biggest of the indies or the smallest of the mm. majors depending which way you look around look at it so yeah, yeah definitely yeah all right then we move on to manager slash valet of the year who is your award winner this year so when i was initially putting this together like the list i started out thinking 
you know, there, there weren't going to be a lot of options again, which I know is something we've chatted about in previous years and whether it's a bit of a lost <laughs> art. But when I actually well, start... I was going to say, in previous years, it was either going to be Paul Heyman or Paul Heyman. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> we got the occasional person who'd, yeah, slip in. But yeah, it was pretty limited in terms of managers. But yeah, when I started thinking about it, there's actually a load of examples from, from this year. And AW in particular has kind of revitalized it a little bit, I feel like. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Heyman. We better give him an honourable mention and shout him out, even though um, I feel like his influence this year has been limited because Reigns is really good on the mic. So um, Heyman obviously has added some story stuff. He's always great at ringside still, um, but it's not quite the same as when he's managed Lesnar and how much he kind of adds to Lesnar's act and things like that. But Heyman's mm. always great. We know that. Um AW stuff, right. I got quite a few written down <laughs> um, just to point out how many managers there actually are. So obviously Alex Abrahantes with the Lucha Bros is loving life <laughs> with the role he's got, I think, at the moment. Um, the Penta says gimmick is massively over as well. Um, I think Smart Mark Sterling, great name, obviously, um, is a great addition to Jade Cargill and the act there. Lulu Pencil is obviously an internet sensation now, and rightly so. Um, Tully Blanchard is great with FTR. Um, Taz continues to be great. Um, his promo work leading up to Sting's big debut against T Team Taz was amazing. Still commentary for me where Taz steals the show because he's so funny. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, him singing along to, like, Ruby Soho and you know Yambag references and stuff like that. Um, love that guy, <laughs> but yeah, he's he's great on commentary, but great as a manager as well. Um, Dan Lambert is worth a shout out as well. It got, it got a bit played out for me as the as the year went on, but particularly initially when he came in, I know he's done stuff um, in the past with um, with Impact, but. Um, particularly initially when he came in AEW and he was cutting promos on the fans and AEW, he's such a natural on the mic at like running people down and clearly like such a big fan of pro wrestling that it really shines through. Um, but yeah, I, <laughs> I think I've got to go for Arn Anderson as the pick, if only because of one of the best moments of the year, which is the Glock promo <laughs> on Cody, which was a viral overnight sensation and such a mad, classically intense Arn Anderson way to tell a wrestler they need to get their act together and get the passion back that he would shoot someone. It was just, um, yeah, it... <laughs> it was, I'm just like, what was going through his head? I yeah, know was, I could threaten to murder him on national television. That will move us for now. <laughs> I, what I love as well is then when Cody obviously made his big comeback and Arn came out first and sort of did the the gun finger point thing <laughs> to the ring yeah. as well. It's like, yeah, they're really like um, doubling down on this. It's great. Yeah. 
So yeah, I think for that alone, because it was such a good viral moment and that was a manager moment that we're not going to forget. So yeah, Orlando. No, no, no. No, I, 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 yeah, I can agree with that. Mine's an AW manager as well, but it's Rebel, just for the work she's done with Britt mm. Baker. She's bumped for her. She has been annoying. She has been <laughs> everywhere. She's a classic kind of BFF manager in that sense. And it's yeah. kind of, it, she, but she's, she's over with it, which does help. But she's, she's just perfect. And what, again, she got a job with AW to do hair and makeup and ended up being mm. one of their most vital cogs in the company because Britt Baker isn't half as annoying without her. <laughs> yeah, when they were doing when they were doing the talk show, it was. Ju- I think that might have been late last year, but it was so yeah. funny, just so yeah. dickish and just so yeah. funny. And so they've got that relationship just down pat, and it, it's like it's one of the great power couple relationships of AEW. Mm-hmm. And I think I think it's, I uh, arguably with Arn and Tully, they were already major stars, and you yeah. make the managers. Rebel was not a major star. She had a two-year run in Impact, a short run in Stardom, and that's your lot. And she did indie work for a long time. So to actually catch on in a company the way she has done has been outstanding. So I, I'm going with Rebel, but I completely agree with you, Dan, as far as his work with Shuri. So. <laughs> okay, we go on to our annual uh, Legends Award, Mick Foley Masochism Award. Who have you got for this year's um, willingness to put yourself through hell? <laughs> <laughs> Well, right, for starters, as ever, I, I know I always make this joke, but I have to do it every year. Um, obviously, another definition of masochism is the enjoyment of an activity that appears to be painful or tedious. Um, so I am tempted <laughs> to give the award to Vince McMahon and WWE for doing the same thing over and over again and never learning um, and getting worse, if anything, this year. Um but uh, I won't do that. <laughs> I will do some proper honourable mentions. Um, Eddie Kingston and his, you know, tortured soul <laughs> style of wrestling, which has made him <laughs> made him one of the biggest stars in AEW. Um, and obviously the story of him coming in and the last couple of years has been amazing and how he's got over and become one of the biggest stars by just being Eddie Kingston <laughs> has been great. Um could maybe throw Brian Danielson in for the match versus Minoru Suzuki to an extent. As you said, he just decided he wanted to get absolutely battered by Minoru Suzuki <laughs> a lot of the match, and it was great to watch. Um, and yeah, he's he's done that in a few matches. You can see he's definitely having fun getting, getting the crap kicked out of him and kicking the crap out of other people again. Um, from kind of the hardcore Mick Foley side of it. I think we have to shout out Britt Baker for the lights out match. And yeah, also the match yeah. he had with Abaddon as well was pretty brutal. Um, the other month, um, you know, thumbtacks and all sorts of crazy stuff she's been doing. Um, I believe Mick Foley did term her the new hardcore legend. So um, that, that has been discussed. Um John Moxley as well um, for some of the crazy stuff um, he's done this year in AEW, uh, in GCW as well. Um, And then speaking of GCW, I think the guy I have to give this to is Matt Cardona, um, (laughs) which in every element of this, of how you get yourself over, um, 
by yeah i mean his work in gcw like the death match obviously that he had against nick gage was great anyway um doing the style of match that he'd never done before and the way they told the the story and obviously his long-term association with wwe um and yeah it's basically every element of it of the match and the matches he had were brutal but the stuff he was doing obviously to wind up the crowd to the point where they were throwing stuff at him at the end of the match, which again is stuff, something you don't really see in terms of that level of kind of getting into a story and winding up the crowd that much. Um, so yeah, it was all brilliantly done. And he put his body through hell, particularly in that match to make it, to make the storyline work. And because he had to get the crap beaten out of him by Nick Gage for this to, you know, really make sense in what he was doing in GCW. So, yeah, shout out to Matt Cardona for making himself one of the most talked about guys in wrestling again in 2021. And he was an internet sensation again after obviously doing it, you know, years and years ago in WWE. It was it was pretty incredible to watch. I, I just like the fact that that feud just developed out of like um, a tweet conversation which yeah. looked like an innocent enough Twitter conversation. I was reading it at the time going, this is a bit weird. Then a week later, the match was announced, and I was like, ah, now it's not so weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm going to give my McFarlane Masochism Award to Atsushi Anita. Oh, okay. Go on. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, we did the coverage of the Matt Tremont uh, Atsushi Anita show with John and Brett. Um, Bahu Brett, who is the, the long-time FMW historian, um, who's become a friend of the show and is a regular guest on our show and, and, and will always be on whenever we talk about what people up. Um, <laughs> <and, laughs> he told us so many stories about that particular car because he was there. He went, he, uh, I think he lives on the West Coast, and he flew to New Jersey to go, it's Nita, you have to see it. And... Um, he told us so many stories about that and the ridiculous things that they did, um, some of which we weren't allowed to talk about on there. Um, so <laughs> one of them we did talk about on there was the fact that he brought his own um, explosive guys and the explosives. That's wow. the rhythm of his much. And tried to get them through US customs and was somewhat perturbed. <laughs> when they took the explosives off him at the airport. <laughs> so like, oh. <laughs> and it's just like, that's, that's just like so Anita. We, I need to go to New Jersey and we need to have some explosives with us. I brought my explosives experts. Here are the explosives. We'd like to put them on this commercial airliner. And just from that <laughs> moment on, I was into that story. And anything Brett told us after that particular point was just gravy on top. It was mm-hmm. so yes, just for that one particular story, he deserves it. Even though the, the actual match wasn't as violent as all that, and he's you know he's old, and he doesn't move yeah, the way he I used think to. He's he done his time. Like, <laughs> yeah, and he like, did some seriously insane stuff. So yeah, Sushi Anita is my McFoley Masochism Award. Arguably giving a legends award to an actual legend as well. Right, we yeah, finish off our award. <laughs> uh, we finish off our award ceremony as always with our moment of the year. What was your moment of the year, Alex? Uh, I think you probably know what I'm going to say, but um, let's do honorable <laughs> mentions first. <laughs> 
Um, special mention, by the way, for Nyla Rose's surprise bitch on Dynamite last week, which I'm still laughing about. Um, it was just, the the comic timing of it was just so good. Um, also, Hook's debut on Rampage just the other day. We have to we have to shout out for all the uh, the Hook gang out there, the Hookers. Um, and it actually lived up to the hype as well. <laughs> he was great, to be fair. So yeah, that that was great. Um, proper honorable mentions. Um, all the debuts at All Out have to um, get mentioned. You know, definitely the show closing angle with Adam Cole and Brian Danielson showing up, but also Ruby Soho debuted as the Joker in the Battle Royal. The fans were chanting her name before she'd even walked out. She came out with the rancid song as well, and it was it was just perfect. Yeah. And then, as you said, Minoru freaking Suzuki showed up on that show <laughs> as well. Like the debuts on that show were absolutely mad. Like it was, yeah, so many mo- surprise moments on that one, and that, yeah, the, that the whole was a, show was just incredible. I'm gonna say that was the first time someone's doctor talked to me about wrestling at work that wasn't a mm. WWE show. Yeah, that's, that's it, how. Yeah, yeah, that's how big I can, that show. I can was. believe it because there was just so <laughs> there was so much mental stuff that I unfortunately had a spoiler pop up that had like was told said about Brian Danielson, Adam Cole debuting, um, mentioned about um, the Lucha Bros beating the books for the tag titles, but there was so much stuff that happened that I then didn't know that Ruby Soho debuted. I didn't know Suzuki showed up. It was, that's how stacked it was in terms yeah. of surprise things that it didn't, that stuff didn't even make it into the headline of a, of an article, which is, yeah, it, it was a, a crazy show. That one. Um, yeah. Other stuff. Some of the others we've, we've, we've kind of spoken about already, like Christian's return um, at the Royal Rumble was a big one. Sting wrestling his first matches in years. If we're counting December, we can say Sting's showing up on AW Winter is coming as well. Um, Matt Cardona debuting for GCW, winning the GCW title, breaking the internet in the process. Um, the something we haven't really spoken about, we've mentioned at the NWA Empower show. I mean, the whole show in many ways was great, but as a moment, um. Gail Kim and Awesome Kong, I think we should mention, like the yeah, Awesome Kong yeah. and her retirement and the fact that we got the moment between the two of them. Um, obviously, Kong making the save and the angle, then her getting to share the ring with Gail one last time when she announced her retirement was just um, was just a perfect moment. You know, when we talk about important moments in women's wrestling in North America, their feud in TNA is is so important and really what kind of ignited the spark in, you know, the mid to late noughties. Um, anyone who hasn't seen that feud, go back and watch it because it's, it's great. And it still holds <laughs> up. Um, it's really, yeah, it's a really important feud in women's wrestling in, in North America. So it was great that they got, they got to have that moment in the ring. Um, and last honorable mention, which came close, but, Obviously, I couldn't go for the not go for the one I've gone for, but um, close second was Hangman winning the AW title. Um, obviously, spoke about the feud and everything else um, with storyline of the year, but just the perfect culmination of that chapter um, in the story they've been telling for so long um, was just a great moment. They paid it off so so well. 
Um, but yeah, no, no surprises. Obviously, moment of the year is CM Punk returning to wrestling, um, signing for AW. It couldn't, it couldn't be anything else, really. We we've spoken about so much of it earlier in the show and why it was so important. But even if it was just based on that reaction alone, <laughs> um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how you top that. Like we probably won't see anything like that again. I mean, you said about how how loud it was. I think Punk. Um, I think we said on the podcast with Renee, um, he said it was like a jet engine going off. It was like the sound was on top of him. It was so loud when he walked out. And yeah, that emotion from the crowd, the emotion of punk, um, that comes through even watching it at home. And yeah, it, what a moment. We never we never thought we'd we'd see it ever happen. And we got that this year. And we almost take it for granted now, I think, because he's wrestled so many matches and he's doing really good stuff. But it's worth repeating that CM Punk came back to wrestling this year. And it's, yeah, it, it's crazy. Um, so, yeah, that's that's moment of the year for me, for sure. No, I completely agree with you. I have, I have to agree with you on that one because there is no... There's been great moments in North American wrestling this year and you've listed just about all of them. But... Um, <laughs> I, I think that that's that tops. It doesn't just top the great moments in pro wrestling of this year. It tops the great moments in pro wrestling of this decade and possibly this century. Mm-hmm. The only other comparable North American feeling was the day Punk won the title from John Cena in the United Center in 2013. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 13. Yeah, um, and you know that night when he won the title and walked off through the crowd and the crowd were chanting his name all the way through Cena's promos, all the way through Cena's promos when he was backstage, all the way through Cena's um, music. Um, and that's the only comparable feeling I've had about a wrestling match in North America. Maybe Rob Van Dam against John Cena at the Manhattan Center on ECW One Night Stand in 2006 mm. was possibly the only other time I've seen a reaction like that. But that's 2,000 people, not 10,000 yeah. people. That's the big difference. And I think that's been the biggest issue. Uh, I think the biggest thing AEW could possibly do, and possibly the biggest thing in professional wrestling this century, which is insane. Or in yeah. American wrestling, I should say. Yeah. But there you go. Well, that concludes yeah. our North American Awards for this year. Um, I'm going to do uh, a, a usual end to the show because I don't know if I'm going to do the show with John as well <laughs> at some point down the line. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to say thank you very much for being our guest and slash co-host today. It's nice to have you back. Alex, where can we find you on the internet? Um, Alex what 187 on Twitter. You can follow... <laughs> Followed Did It Cross the Line as well. We haven't done a podcast in a while because life is mad. But um, at Did It Cross <laughs> on Twitter for our mine and my wife's football podcast, which we will do another episode soon, promise. Um, but yeah, cheers for having me. I've rambled a lot, but there's been there's been some really good stuff in wrestling around. Um, yeah, some of the nonsense we spoke about at the top, there has been a lot of great stuff. Definitely. You can find me at Sheriff Weinstein on Twitter. You can find the show Troopany Show on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook, The Troopany Show, and on Patreon, where you can keep The Troopany Show free forever for everyone. 
This goes out next week, and next week we'll be at Budokan Hall for Noah's return to their most favourite of all venues to see if they can bring back the ghosts of Misawa, Kobashi, Teiyu, and Akiyama and see what they can do by with their new generation of superstars and some of their really old ones. Um, <laughs> That's, that's perhaps perhaps one of the, one of the best things for me is M's Alliance and Noah, where everyone has a name beginning with M. So it's <laughs> Kieji Muto, Masato Tanaka, and Naimichi Marafuji. <laughs> Great. So I, yeah. We're, we're gonna we're gonna start a faction because everyone's name starts with M. All right then, I'm Masato Tanaka as well. So, <laughs> We're all really old, and our name begins with N. We haven't got a working knee between us. <laughs> <laughs> and then they go out and have amazing matches with all of these youngsters, and it's awesome. But there you go. But anyway, thank you for I mean, you've to... sold the Noah show to, to me on that alone, to be honest. <laughs> and it's free at wrestle-universe.com. Just sign up, and you can have the show for free. Can't complain. And you get access to two Tokyo Joshi Pro, Ganabre, and DDT for the same low price of nothing until January. <laughs> so you probably should sign up now so you get some time in January. <laughs> but anyway, thank you for listening to the Tribute Show today. I will speak to you soon. Bye. <laughs>